get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. If you're going to spend money on a top-of-the-rotation type starter, you want somebody that's track record to actually give you innings under that scenario. You know, that would be – I don't think Giolito was in that category, so that would be Nola for me. Um, I think he'd be a great fit for him. And then they still need to add a guy what I consider to be a solid contributor, which would be that next tier down starting pitcher. And then they've got to see what kind of young pitching they can develop between now and in the end of the year. These last six – Weeks are important for me as it relates to the development of some of the young starters in that rotation. Happy Aranola weekend, everybody. That Woo! is Tanner Hendrickson. He's Grant Francis, and I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That voice you just heard was Dan O'Dowd talking with us a few weeks ago about what the Cardinals can do to rebuild this rotation. You guys have never heard this conversation before. It's a new one fresh for you right here at 11 o'clock on a Friday on BK and Ferrario. The Cardinals go up this weekend against the Philadelphia Phillies. And this will give us an opportunity to watch Tanner Hendrickson, the future Cardinals ace. Mm. If I didn't already have plans at 1235 on Sunday, I believe it's going to be a beautiful day that day. It's supposed to be nice this weekend. I would be at Bush Stadium in a full-blown Aaron Nola life suit. Like, I would look like him. I would get one of those fat heads. I don't even know if you're familiar with those. Oh, T-bone. I don't think you are, yeah. I, would, I remember those. Instead of plastering it up against my the wall, yeah. I would plaster it against myself uh-huh. and have a sign Ugh. that says... Aaron Nola to St. Louis. That would be my route this weekend. Look, man, we're not trying to scare him away from St. Louis. That's we're right. trying to recruit him. And if you went to Bush Stadium this weekend, you'd be sitting there by yourself. Because what do you think the selling point would be for Nola? Is it the zoo? Is it Toasted Ravs? What could we do? Like, we got to have somebody on the inside recruiting Aaron Nola this weekend to the wonderful city that is St. Louis. Like, do, do you lead with the zoo and then say, hey, by the way, try our Toasted Ravs? Or, hey, go to make sure you get over there on the hill. They've got some great um, Italian for you over there. What do you think the selling point is specifically for our guy, Aaron Nola? I just looked up his Wikipedia page because all great information can be found there. From Louisiana, I do believe. He is of Italian descent. So maybe we talk about the hill. We can talk about the hill and how much food there is. I wonder if I'm trying to see if he's got any kids. Um, Maybe... He's oh he, he's a big fan of a Christian rock band. Matt's his wife's in a Christian oh, we rock band. Get, we got to get Matsy over there. Oh, that's who our inside guy is. I can't find if he has any kids or not. So I don't know if we're going to be able to sell him on this zoo thing. But um, yeah, we'll go with we'll go with the hill. Will be our leading pitch, and then we'll also tell him about that big arch that he could go visit. He is very much a faithful man. We could have Tommy Edmond, who we yeah. know his walk up song. We asked him about it last year. He chose it because he is a faithful man as well. They both use a Christian rock song as their walk-up song. There we go. So we could have Tommy go over there and talk to him. We could have uh, Stephen Matz introduce him to his wife. Maybe they could get involved somehow in Nashville with some of the uh, the music scene out there. It's a it's a great time to be had by all involved. Aaron Nola, come over to St. Louis. So the reason why I bring this up, T-Bone, is because... 
I do think there's a real chance that the Cardinals this offseason will point to the Philadelphia Phillies and say, that's our formula. They had the young core. They had the position players, and they just keep adding to it. But they also have the pitching. They have developed Ranger Suarez. They went out and got a mid-tier starting pitcher last year with Taiwan Walker. They already had internally a really savvy signing with Zach Wheeler a few years ago. They bought him on the on the cheap, quote-unquote, and they found an ace by doing so. They developed Aaron Nola internally. And now I think we all look at the Phillies and say, that is a pitching staff that can win a World Series. You can win with their staff, that rotation. T-Bone, what do the Cardinals have to do this offseason to build their version of the Phillies rotation? Because they're kind of the classic Phillies are one, two, three, four when you look at the way that they set up for a playoff series. Yeah, so I think they've got their version of Taiwan Walker, who serves as like the three, four for the Cardinals. Same with Ranger Suarez, who's now on the 15-day IL, but the lefty serves as like their three or four as well. I think that's your Mets and Michaelis. Now, they don't really have a five. They've got Christopher Sanchez, who's made just 12 starts for them. Um, so they they don't really have a true number five starter. That's a guy that you can go out and get in free agency, a.k.a. James Paxton. Uh, but then the Nolan Wheeler, those are the guys that they don't have. They especially don't have the Wheeler, the top-end guy. Aaron Nola, I know he leads them in innings this year, for, and he's made 26 starts, which leads the Phillies. He's there, too. And I think he is more of a two than he is a number one. So if you bring in Nola, you got your two. Question is, where do you find the Zach Wheeler? And I think the only guy that's on the market that is the Zach Wheeler is Blake Snell. I, I think he's truly the only guy that's got legit A stuff. That sure, he's not going to go deep into games, but he's got enough stuff that you say, give me the ball in game one, he's going to give you five legitimate, six legitimate innings and strike out the world. I think that's the guy that would be their Zach Wheeler if they're going to build out this rotation is you go out, you sign a Blake Snell to take that Wheeler spot, and I think he's the only guy that can really do that, or you're going to be shopping in the second tier and looking at number twos and trying to squint and make them number ones, which maybe Nola can sell you on being kind of a 1B, and maybe that's good enough for the St. Louis Cardinals. If we're being totally honest, I don't think there's a legit number one available this offseason. I don't think there's a Zach Wheeler that's getting traded. I don't think there's a Zach Wheeler that's on the free agent market. I don't know, like, even with Blake Snell, who is a really good pitcher, and you know, T-Bone, like, if the Cardinals were willing to spend $60 million this offseason on pitching, I would say just go get Nola and Snell. The likelihood of them doing that, their willingness to do that, and honestly, just like in terms of the savviness, I, I don't know that that's a smart move, but it'd be fun. And we could definitely convince ourselves, hey, you now have a one-two in your rotation. If you've got Snell and Nola, you've got the mm-hmm. innings from Nola, you've got the effectiveness from Snell, you put in Michaelis in there, and it... Pff, Don't even get the third guy. Just have the rest of it be a competition. I'd be fine with that. They're not going to do that and probably shouldn't do that. But when you look at Zach Wheeler, the difference between he and Snell, man, Wheeler has the strikeout stuff, but also doesn't walk anybody. And so he's got the best of both worlds. That's what a legit number one looks like. And while he's not necessarily like a quote unquote innings eater, he does give you a decent amount. He's at 150 innings so far this year. In 2021, he threw 200 innings. He threw a buck 95 in 2019. Let's not act like he is the, the equivalent of Blake Snell. He can eat those innings. It's just about being out there for 30 starts in a season to be able to get to that 180 to 200 mark. Snell's never going to be that guy. He's going to go five and dive, six and dive for you every single time that he goes out there. So when I look at what's available, Dylan Cease has been a one. 
Do I think he can be that long term? I, I don't know. He's got the stuff to do it. But I would say right now he slots more as a number two or a number three. I don't think Logan Gilbert's is available. He has been redacted on this show. We don't talk about trading for him because he's not available until proven otherwise. T-Bone, I don't think there's another guy that's going to be available. That's a number one starting pitcher because when you get that guy, you hold on to him like you have no tomorrow. That is the guy that you build around. You don't trade Sandy Alcantara. You don't trade uh, Strasburg when he's in his prime. You re-sign them and then deal with whatever comes from it. You don't trade Spencer Strider or Max Freed. Those are guys that you build around. So my question to you would be this. Can you win a World Series? Can you build the Phillies rotation if you don't have that legit number one starter at the front end? Can you compare with those two things? I think you can, but it's a little, it's a lot tougher in my opinion. What you have to do is you have to shorten games by going to the bullpen. Now, that recipe can work in the postseason, but how does that work in the regular season where there is the full 162 grind and you do need somebody to eat innings? And I guess with Nola, you have that, but you don't have that legitimate ace. I, I think it, I think it can work, but I think it's a lot tougher because you have to have a legitimately deep bullpen. You have to have like, five arms strong in a bullpen to have success that way so it is a little bit tougher to do but I I think it is possible to do it but again I I think it is tougher because of the fact of the matter that you have to have a bullpen that is super deep and again that's why I say the Cardinals need to add to the bullpen this offseason because you need to shorten baseball games but I don't know if you can do that for a full 162. That's more of a playoff formula. Well, and the way I look at it is if you go into a season and you're trying to be competitive for a World Series, you need that number one. It's sort of like having that goaltender that you need in a Stanley Cup Finals run in hockey. And you can do it without that true number one. You can do it without that stellar goaltending. But you have to be elite in every other aspect of the game. Look at Vegas this past season. Defensively, they were elite goal scoring. They were awesome. Same with Colorado when they won with Kemper a couple years ago. Same with Pittsburgh when they won with Matt Murray in 2016-17. Like, they were elite in every aspect of the game aside from their goaltending. And if you're going to go into a season where you're wanting to be competitive without a true number one, you're going to have to be elite in every other aspect of the game. I would say that's more of a closer conversation. I think the, the comparison between the goalie in the NHL and a closer in baseball is there because closers can emerge in season. Goalies can emerge in season where like suddenly the 2019 Blues have Jordan Bennington come out of nowhere and now they're winning the Stanley Cup because he looks like for a three-month stretch the best goalie in the NHL. You can have somebody play well enough for the Avs or for the Vegas Golden Knights. You can have in the middle of the Pittsburgh Penguins playoff run, one goes down, you replace them with another, you can still win the Stanley Cup final. I don't know that that same thing is true in baseball with the number one starter. I think that's more like a number one center or a number one defenseman where if you don't have that guy or have somebody that is playing like that level of a player, I don't know that you can do it, man. Like Ryan O'Reilly is one of, and I say this with all due respects to Ryan O'Reilly, He's one of the worst number one centers to win a cup recently. And that is me loving Ryan O'Reilly. I think he's a tremendous player. But look at the centers that have won a Stanley Cup recently. They're all like Hall of Fame level hockey players. O'Reilly is a Hall of Very great player. So when you look at what it is in terms of the number one starters that have won recently, dude, these guys are like the creme de la creme. I mean, it is a who's who of Major League Baseball pitchers. So though. Like the worst ones recently, 
Max Freed for the Braves. What is their number one? He had a three O ERA that season. Yeah. That's a he pitched like a legitimate number one, even if you don't think he is that. The Kansas City Royals in 2015, they had Johnny Cueto at the front end of their rotation, and at the time, he was still in his prime, so you could consider him to be a legitimate number one. But he was more of the Aaron Nola type, where it's like a really, really good pitcher. You love having him in the, in your rotation, but he's probably better suited as a number two behind a Zach Wheeler. And other than that, in the last decade. That's kind of it, man. I mean, you go back through it, like you got to go all the way back to the the Giants a couple of times where they had Mad Bum. You've got the Red Sox. All of these teams had somebody that you can point to where you could say that dude was our ace. And so as much as I want to believe that the Cardinals could construct a roster, a rotation around Aaron Nola and a bunch of other really solid pitchers, it does become very difficult to imagine them winning a World Series constructed that way. And that just puts more pressure on them as they get closer to the deadline. They would probably have to make their Justin Verlander move. They would have to make their Johnny Cueto move because the teams that didn't have that legit proven number one starter, they pretty much went to the deadline and got that guy. So I I think that's going to be what the Cardinals would have to do. All of this starts with the offseason. You got to construct your roster as well as you possibly can right now. And if that number one starter doesn't exist, if they're not available, so be it. You give yourself the best opportunity to win with what's made available to you. But next year, that does put a lot of pressure, I think, again, on John Mosellock if this team is back to competing on a meaningful level. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll get to Ask Us Anything. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you guys would like to get involved in the show. You can always watch us on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. But coming up next... There was a segment earlier today that I was listening to on the opening drive that made me wonder, what does a coaching staff overhaul look like for the Cardinals this offseason? How much of this staff do you guys believe needs to be replaced? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So what does a coaching staff overhaul look like for the Cardinals this offseason? I know that's something that a lot of you guys in our audience have been asking for. And T-Bone, I have been hesitant to change. I still believe Ali Marmol to be a very solid major league manager. I know that is an unpopular opinion right now, and I think he's done a below average job this year, but I think he was the best manager in the National League last season. So I don't think he suddenly overnight became a bad manager. I know that a lot of people in our listening audience disagree with that. He That's got neither lifted here nor by there. Albert BK. Apparently. And Skip Schumacher. He was the one that was shadow oh, managing, yeah. according to the vast majority of our listeners. That being said, I don't think he's getting fired. I don't think Mo is getting fired. I don't think Gersh is going anywhere. The biggest names in the organization, I think, are all coming back next year. Where I do think you might see some changes is with the bench coach. And maybe they try some of the lower level positions on their coaching staff. Maybe they overhaul that a little bit. But I think your hitting coach is going to stay the same. I think your pitching coach is going to stay the same. Because if they weren't, I think they would have made changes on those two positions in season. So I was listening to Randy Carrick earlier today on the morning show, and he made an interesting point. I personally disagree with it, but I do wonder what percentage of our audience is in the same spot that Randy's at. Here's what he had to say. I want to react to it on the other side. 
if you have young outfielders that look like they struggle out there, like Jordan Walker and Alec Burleson, and a new outfielder in Tommy Edmonton, might be a good idea to have a veteran coach out there, taking nothing away from Willie McGee, but somebody that teaches also, in addition to Willie, the fundamentals of playing that position. Now you're going to have Nason Wynn on the infield. Stubby Clap is a, a fine coach. I hope that he's the guy to help Mason Wynn come along as a shortstop. By their own admission, Paul DeYoung's physical abilities began to deteriorate. They just didn't change anything. They didn't adjust. They didn't coach him up. And now I guarantee you that he'll go to San Francisco and he'll be a different player because they have a great coaching staff there. I'll guarantee you he will not (laughs) go to San Francisco and be a different player, but continue. So... When I heard that, I thought to myself, man, are we down on Stubby Clap now? Because I remember when Ollie was hired as the manager, I think he was the leader in the clubhouse from Cardinals fans to be the next manager. People really wanted him to be the guy. That was the most common person that we heard come up on the text line. Willie McGee is one of the most universally beloved humans that has ever been around the Cardinals organization. When you go out to opening day, the biggest ovation is for Willie McGee every single time. He is the one that gets the loudest ovation out at Bush Stadium on opening day. So the reason why I bring that up is because like, I believe Willie McGee is the guy to make it work with Jordan Walker in the outfielder. I don't have any reason to believe that Stubby Clapp and Pop Warner are not the guys to make it work with the base running and with the defense. I think this team was really good at all of those things last year with the exact same coaches in place. What changed was the personnel. What changed is Wilson Contreras is a terrible base runner. He's got a lot of things that he does well. He is one of the worst base runners in Major League Baseball. Jordan Walker, while he has all of the skills to be a good defender and a good base runner, I don't think he has been that so far this year. That is not a slight against him. He's 21 years old. I think he will get there. It just takes playing time. It takes adjustments to the big league level. So I think these guys will get there. I think you have the coaches to get them there. T-Bone, do you think they have the right coaches to get them to that place? I, I think they have the right coaches, and I'll start with Willie McGee. Look, when we're out at the ballpark, and hell, even if you're watching the games on Valley Sports Midwest, you see a lot of clips of Willie McGee working with Jordan Walker in the outfield, and I think he is the guy to help Jordan Walker. I mean, I think Jordan Walker, when he was in left field in that small stretch, I don't remember when it was now, June, July, or it wasn't July, but June I think is when it was, I thought he was showing signs of improvement in left, and then he went back to right field. And I think for the most part recently, Jordan Walker looks more comfortable and looks better in right field. He's had a couple plays where you look at and go, okay, yeah, that wasn't great. But I think he is improving out there in right field. And I don't think it's just because he's out there playing every day. I think it's because he's working with Willie McGee. The coaching staff is helping him. And then to the point of Pop Warner and Stubby Clap. Like, I don't think they're the reason that the defense on the infield got worse this year. I think it was just weird plays that happened with a Tommy Emmett in the second base. He had a weird defensive start to the year. Nolan Arnado was dealing with a some sort of injury. I'm assuming back injury had some arm fatigue as well. That led to him being a minus defensively. And I would also point out, and I said this in the office, outside of Ron Washington, can you name a first or third base coach that really has such a marginal impact on the game? My answer would be, no, you cannot. Outside of Ron Washington, and don't even say Mike Schill, because look at where that team is in San Diego. Um, and then when I look at the hitting coach, like there's no question about Turner Ward. And then I look at the pitching coach and Dusty Blake. I was one of those critical of Dusty Blake early on. I want to give Dusty Blake his credit. 
Because look at the turnaround Stephen Matz had this season from starting off so poorly they had to push him to the bullpen to getting him back into the rotation. They were able to find a way to fix Jordan Hicks this season. So there are signs that Dusty Blake has been able to make adjustments with pitchers and help fix them this year. So I think Dusty Blake is the guy moving forward. He's also, I think, the best modern pitching coach moving forward for the St. Louis Cardinals for a staff that's going to have to modernize next year. The one that I just don't know a lot about is Joe McEwing, and I think he is the guy that's probably going to be the fall guy in the offseason for the Cardinals just because he was brought in last minute when Matt Holliday decided to resign, and I don't think he was their number one choice, so I think they're going to look for somebody else for that role. That's where I feel as well. I, I think that they're going to try to look for somebody to be in that bench coach role, Like, and I don't even think this is necessarily a shot against Joe McEwing. He's been in that role for a long time, and he's had moments where he was thought of as a rising managerial candidate. Never worked out for him. I don't think that it's worked out this year. Maybe it's not Joe McEwing's fault at all, but it was a last-minute decision by the Cardinals to bring him in because of the Matt Holiday situation, and I think that's going to be where they try to upgrade the staff. Because as you look at it, the Cardinals clearly believe in Turner Ward and Brandon Allen as their hitting coaches. Maybe you disagree with that. Maybe you don't think that they should. I think there are some things that this team definitely needs to get better at, specifically with runners in scoring position and with productive outs. We'll get into that here in a second. But I think they're going to build around those two guys as their hitting coaches. They believe in Dusty Blake as their pitching coach. You don't have to. But what they seem to believe internally is this was a matter of us not having the right pitchers, not a matter of us not having the right pitching coach. Because somebody brought up on the text line, guys, look at what happened with uh, Jordan Montgomery. He leaves, he's better, he goes down to Texas, he's been excellent when he gets back with Mike Maddox. Jordan Montgomery was great with the Cardinals this year. Yeah, This wasn't a situation of him being horrible here, great elsewhere. If that was the case, it would certainly open up my eyes. Jordan Montgomery's basically been the same pitcher down there, slightly better results, but the same pitcher down there that he was here. And if you look at what Jack Flaherty's doing right now in Baltimore, same guy. Same guy that he was here. Jordan Hicks, same guy that he was here. In fact, you could argue better here than he has been so far in Toronto. If you want to look for somebody that's been better elsewhere, it's Hennessy Cabrera. And I don't know that that's because the Cardinals couldn't get the best out of him. I think Hennessy Cabrera is a wildly erratic pitcher who's going through some really good results right now. That could flip at any moment, and we all know it. So I'm not going to blame that on Dusty Blake. I think this has been a matter of them not having the right personnel there. The one thing that I do think they could probably figure out was early in the season, Pop Warner had a weird stretch there where he was sending guys yeah, like he crazy. Got that arm going. <laughs> he he that never had the Woo. stop sign up. So if you were a little frustrated with that, I understand it. And I think that was a fair critique of them early on. But now, like, I just I haven't noticed that as an issue for them. And, and I'll say this about Dusty Blake, too. I think the Cardinals kind of set him up for failure. And what I mean by that is, remember when he got hired, it was, hey, he's going to be the guy that can help get some of that swing and miss. He can help get some more out of our pitchers like a Jordan Montgomery or a Jack Flaherty. He wasn't going to be able to teach these guys swing and miss stuff. That's what the Cardinals kept raving about. And Adam Wainwright, when you've got the guy, the pillar of the franchise, raving about the pitching coach, then he's his job is safe. Like If Adam Wainwright likes Dusty Blake, which he does, then he's he's fine. He's the guy Some for them. Some of the them. most old school pitchers on this staff are Adam Wainwright and Dakota Hudson. You know who praised Dusty Blake more than anybody when we were out at the winter warmups earlier this season and have continued doing so throughout the regular season? Adam Wainwright and Dusty Blake. So you may view Dusty Blake as a pitching numbers nerd. That might be your perspective of him. That was by his own admission how Adam Wainwright 
viewed Dusty Blake prior to really getting to know him. And now he has sung the praises of Dusty Blake like nobody else that you will hear. Dakota Hudson told us during the offseason, Dusty Blake changed the way that I view pitching. He changed the way that I view the game. That is quite the comment from a classic old school sinker baller pitcher. So I, I don't think he's necessarily the issue. If there's one thing that does need to get corrected going into next year, it is their situational hitting. I don't know if this is a coaching thing. I don't know if this is a player thing, an experience thing. I I don't know where to place the blame for this because the Cardinals were actually pretty good with situational hitting last year. Some will say, hey, that was Yachty. That was Albert. Clearly those guys gone. Now it got worse. Maybe that might be the case. But when you look at the numbers, if you're just looking at productive outs and what this means, T-Bone is successfully advancing any runner on the bases with zero outs or driving in a base runner with one out. Makes sense, right? Productive outs. The Cardinals are 28th in Major League Baseball in that regard, in terms of the percentage of guys that they have, percentage of outs that they make that are productive. Only the Mariners and the White Sox have been worse. They are the worst at that in the National League. This stuff can be changed by like five more productive outs over the course of a season. It's a very small margin between like the best and the worst at this. But it is something that when you're watching the games, it feels like it matches the numbers. The eye test matches the numbers here. They do need to be better in that regard. They've got to be better at runner on third, less than two outs, get them in. However you have to do it, if that means there's two strikes and you hit one in the air to right and you find a way to get get them in, do it. Make that fly out because that's what's necessary to drive that runner in. That is something that the Cardinals have to be better at. I don't think this is something that Turner Ward is avoiding. The guy is not exactly like, the analytics darling that previous hitting coaches were here get gooder at this next year but I, I do think it's something that the cardinals need to improve yeah I, i'm with you they do need to improve on this because this is something that has been abysmal this year and when you look at it though and to your point on turner ward like yes i'm sure turner ward sees this but i just don't know how you kind of fix this from a coaching staff perspective i look i played baseball i played at the lowest of low levels <laughs> We never practice situational hitting. You never you never just say, okay, when a runner comes up to 30, here's what you do. No, you take your at-bat. Now, yes, you maybe try to lift the ball in the air a little bit more. Maybe instead of uh, on that pitch that's on the outside, you try to pull it, you try to hit it the other way to get it on the ground to move a runner from second to third. But those things all players know. That is not a coaching staff thing. I think it is just one of those where maybe it is a little bit better at bats. Maybe you try to be more aggressive and attack a first pitch. Maybe that's what you need to do. Try and get, try and pounce on that first pitch fastball. I I think they will be better at it, but what the solution is, I just don't know. And they've got the players to do it. You don't have a top 10 offense and then not be able to score when there's runners in scoring position. Sure. Some people would point to the clutch factor. I, I don't, there is something to that. Absolutely. But if you're a top 10 offense, that means you've got a really good lineup, and at some point they're going to start coming through. I, I think kind of like when we talked about the bases loaded thing, I think last week or earlier this week, I think it's just one of those that is one-off this year and that they will be better at it next year. I believe that as well. If it doesn't get better next year, there will be there will come a point in time where we say, okay, this is too much of a sample size now to where we have to think it's something maybe a little deeper. I think a lot of this is just young guys trying to make – make their stance known, make their names known at the big league level. And it's harder for a young player to go up there to the plate and be like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and hit a sack fly here as opposed to trying to drive in these runs to get my numbers up, right? They want to stick at the big league level. Now we know 
One of the best ways to do that, one of the best ways to get in the good graces of this coaching staff is by driving in runs by any means necessary. It's one of the reasons why they love Brendan Donovan. It was one of the reasons why he, right among or right away from getting up to the big league level, made his name known. It's because it was like, hey, man, this guy will do whatever is necessary to win baseball games. I think part of that is why they like Alec Burleson as well, because they view him in the same mold of that. I don't know that that's the case for every young player that comes up. Not a shot against him. It's hard. It's hard to do that while you're trying to focus on a million other things. So I think that's one of the last things that comes into place for a young player. And I think over the coming year or so, we'll start to see more of that fall into place. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to ask us anything. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But coming up next, T-Bone has a bone to pick about a national list that didn't give his head coach enough credit. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So college football officially kicks off this weekend. Navy versus Notre Dame and San Jose State versus USC are probably the two headliners. Not exactly the greatest weekend for college football, but it's college football nonetheless. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll get to ask us anything. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. T-Bone. The beginning of the college football season means that it's officially list season. Everybody's getting their rankings of everything you could possibly imagine out there prior to the start of the football season. One of those lists that came out earlier today was the list of the best coaches in college football. Came out from The Athletic, and they put them in different tiers. So tier one, two, three, so on and so forth. They broke up tier one into two separate categories. Tier 1A, which is just Nick Saban. And then Tier 1B, which has Kirby Smart and Dabo Sweeney. Let's start there. I want to get to your bone that you have to pick with yeah, this I, list I got here in just a moment. But let's start at the top, and we'll work our way to T-Bone getting angry, even though I think he's going to be angry about this part as well. Tier 1A was Nick Saban. Tier 1B has Kirby Smart and Dabo Sweeney. For me, I would just have Kirby Smart with Nick Saban in Tier 1, I would drop Dabo Sweeney down to tier two, and that's the way that I would construct the top of it. If I was a program and you told me you could have any pick of a head coach in college football, because of age, I would probably go with Kirby Smart. But if you're telling me I'm only in charge for the next three years, I would say give me Nick Saban or Kirby Smart and I'm fine. Those would be my top two selections right now. T-Bone, how'd you feel about the way that they put the top three on this list? Yeah, the only thing that I would kind of, push back on in the top three is I would put Kirby Smart in a tier of his own in tier 1A, and then I would bump down Nick Saban. Kirby Smart's clearly become the guy of college football. He's got a juggernaut at Georgia, and I think Nick Saban has clearly started to fall into that second tier, if you want to label it that, or tier 1B. I don't think Nick Saban's the number one coach in college football anymore. I, I think by far 
it has become Kirby Smart. I mean, he's won back-to-back national championship games, and he's lost one game in the last two years. So he's clearly the best coach in college football for me. If you want to argue Dabo Sweeney and uh, Nick Saban belong in, as like a second tier, or if you want to make him one B. Dabo Sweeney, get him out. Okay. Yep. I'm, I mean, I kind of support that, too. He's not been the same since he lost Trevor Lawrence. But I, I think Nick's— I think he's a creation of his two quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson. I think without those two guys, we look at Dabo Sweeney very similarly to the way that we view like a Jim Jim Harbaugh, but maybe a little lower. I think Brian Kelly is a better coach than Dabo Sweeney. I think that's fair. I, I think that's totally fair. So I guess I would be I would hear the argument to put him in that second tier and have him kind of near the bottom of that list. But my only issue with the top three was that I the fact that Kirby Smart's not number one is just ridiculous. So I think that is a fair argument. Tier two here is where I find it to be really interesting. They have Ryan Day, Luke Fickle, Jimbo Fisher, get him out, all the way out of here, Jim Harbaugh, Brian Kelly, Lincoln Riley, and Kyle Whittingham. Now, I think there's some, maybe some in the audience that maybe if you're a casual college football fan, you just heard Kyle Whittingham's name, and you're like, wait, hold on. I know all of those other guys. Who the bleep is Kyle Whittingham? He's the coach at Utah. He's never leaving Utah, loves coaching there, and has been spectacular since taking over as the head coach, he deserves to be in this category with these other guys. I think Ryan Day, Luke Fickle, Jim Harbaugh, Brian Kelly, Lincoln Riley, those are some of the best coaches in college football. I would have them all here. Jimbo Fisher, one of these things is not like the other. It's Jimbo. He doesn't deserve to be here. The game passed him by five years ago, man. Texas A&M fans are done with Jimbo. He went into SEC media days this year and was asked about his offense coordinator, who's going to call plays. Petrino's taking over as their offense coordinator this year. He said, ah, we'll get there. We'll figure that out as we go. So then why'd you hire an OC? Why'd you hire Petrino if you're not going to give him the offense? His offense is stuck in the Stone Ages. They perennially are one of the most underperforming teams relative to expectations and relative to their recruiting rankings. I think Jimbo Fisher should be way below on this list, but for some reason he gets put in this category because he got a massive deal to go to Texas A&M a few years ago. I don't think you're wrong there because I, the end of his era at Florida State was not pretty. You want to talk about a coach that was made by his quarterback? Jameis Winston made Jimbo <laughs> Fisher. Like, let's just be honest. So, and then now at A&M, and, and even his, like, recruiting machine, because I think it wasn't last year he had the number one recruiting mm-hmm. class coming into the year. Yeah, Let's also have a moment of honesty. The number one recruiting class was made by the NIL juggernaut that is Texas A&M. They deserve the credit for doing it. Yeah, sure, whatever. Let's not give Jimbo Fisher his roses here. He couldn't even get to a rose bowl if he wanted to. I know you've got an issue with somebody else on this Yeah, Luke Fickle's not in Tier 2. I'm sorry, but he does not belong in Tier 2. He's got to prove it at a Power 5 school for me before he gets into Tier 2. I would put him at, like, the top of Tier 3, but I'm not willing to put him in Tier 2 just yet because... We, we've seen coaches that come from, and look, he deserves credit for getting Cincinnati to the college football playoff, but we've seen coaches when they take that next step from a small program, <clears throat> drink, and then go to a power five school it's kind of and different. really he struggle. was at Cincinnati for six years, Drinkwitz had one year as a head coach. But. Okay, fine, but you understood the premise of the idea. Of We've seen multiple coaches that go from those smaller level schools that move to the power five, and they just cannot have the same success. We, we've seen it. I don't know that we've seen coaches have the level of success that he had at the group of five level go on to the power five level and fail. I I can't think of many. In fact, I can't think of many coaches that have had the level of success that he had at the group of five level. Like I 
I think it's kind of similar to Gary Patterson, the old TCU coach, where TCU was a great program prior to joining the Big 12 and then just continued to have that success. To be fair, he did not do it at a different program. It was all at TCU, but he was able to maintain his status, whether it was at TCU in a previous version of that program and then into a Power 5 program. Um, Utah is another one of these examples where Kyle Whittingham has just been excellent since the moment that he took over, even in the the Pac-12. So I think he's going to go on to have great success elsewhere. I mean, you look back at some of these other guys that were at specifically Cincinnati. Butch Jones had success there, don't get me wrong, but they didn't have this level. They were going to the Belk Bowl and the Liberty Bowl. That's a little different than going to a college football playoff. Does Brian Kelly was the one before that that really had this level of success, and we've seen that translate to the Power 5 level. I, this guy's probably not the best example because he's only there two years. Scott Frost is the name that came into my mind. Got UCF to a Peach Bowl, won the Peach Bowl over Auburn, and then we saw the disaster he was at Nebraska. That's probably your best comparison. He wasn't there as long. I yeah, don't and I think, yeah, he was only there two years, and that's yeah. kind of the thing that is the That's where I would that. give credit to Fickle is he built the program and then maintained the program. I think a lot of these guys inherit a lot of talent have a good scheme, and then boom, it all comes together for them for a year, and they're able to go take that next step. Whereas with Fickle, I kind of view it similarly to what we saw with Brad Stevens in in college basketball at Butler, where I think Brad Stevens could have been great anywhere. He could have gone and taken the Duke job, and he would have been able to build and maintain that program, where it was with Coach K. A, A lot of these guys at the group of five level of college basketball, they inherit a program, they build it for like two years, and then boom, they hit it big one year, and then they're gone. Stevens was able to sustain that at Butler for a really long time. That's how I view Luke Fickle. But, all right, we've spent a lot of time on Luke Fickle, who's the new Wisconsin coach. It bothered me. And I know you're lower on Wisconsin going into this year than many, in part because of Luke Fickle. The guy that you really have an issue with on this list is your coach at the University of Illinois, Brett Bielema. He's all the way down in Tier 4. Now, let me list a few of the coaches. We just went through Tier 2. That are in tier three ahead of your guy, Brett Bielema, Mario Cristobal at Miami, Sonny Dykes at TCU. I think you could argue he should be higher. PJ Fleck at Minnesota, Hugh Freeze at Auburn, Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State, Tom Herman at FAU, uh, Chip Kelly at UCLA, Lance Leipold at Kansas, Gus Malzahn at UCF, Matt Rule back at Nebraska, Ridiculous. Mark Stoops at Kentucky. T-Bone, you got a bone to pick here. Why are you so mad, buddy? Yeah, my guy Bielma should not be in Tier 4. And by the way, neither should Lane Kiffin. Poor Lane Kiffin got thrown into Tier 4. I just saw his name on here. I feel bad for him. No, he should be in Tier 3 because he's better than, I would say, half of these coaches that are listed in this tier. I think he's as good a head coach as Mark Stoops that's at Kentucky, and he's had great success at that program. I think he's just as good as him. And I think where Bielma gets a lot of flack is from his failure at Arkansas. Agreed. And that that shouldn't be held against him because, let's be honest, I thought he was meant to fail at Arkansas because he's a Big Ten-style football coach, and that's not going to translate once you move to the SEC. Can we be honest? Arkansas, since he left, has basically been what Arkansas was when he was there. Yeah. I think they blamed Brett Bielema for the failures of their own university. I'm not saying that Brett Bielema did a great job there, but he won seven, eight, and seven games in the middle portion of his tenure in Arkansas. And it, the bottom certainly fell out in 2017. It was horrible. They went four and eight that year. But I don't think Arkansas has suddenly become this like nationally renowned program since he left. They're 
they're more of the same for the most part. Yeah, and I think Bielma, like, he's going to take the Illinois program potentially to back-to-back eight-win seasons, which is, hasn't happened in a long time. He took over a mess from Lovey Smith in 2021 and somehow won five games that year, won four in Big Ten Conference play. Like, I think Brett Bielma's being slept on on this tier list. He should be in Tier 3, because I think he's up there with a Mark Stoops. I think he's—we'll see what Matt Rule is, because I think he definitely is a better college coach sure. than an NFL coach. I, would, I wouldn't put him up there with Chip Kelly, probably, but I think he's better than P.J. Fleck. And, like, I like Fleck at Minnesota, but I think he's better than him. Uh, I think he's more proven than Mike Norvell. I would agree. And I think Mario Cristobal, like, I think he's a— good head coach, but I don't know if it's going to be the same at Miami as it was in Oregon. I think Stoops is your good comparison. It, I think Mark Stoops and Brett Bielema are very similar. They're going to go 8-4 and four regardless of where they are. Whether they're at Wisconsin, at Illinois, for the most part at, at Arkansas, he was around that 7-8 win range. They're going to get you there. Now, the ceiling, I don't know if they have that. I don't know if they can get you to a place other than Bielema when he was at Wisconsin at the end. I mean, everybody wins 10 games at Wisconsin, but I don't know that they can win you 10, 11 games on an annual basis, but they're going to get you to eight. And there's value in that at a program like Illinois. There's value in that at a program like Kentucky, where previously, prior to these coaches arriving, there were seasons where they were winning three and four games regularly. So I would agree with you. I do think he should be a little bit higher for those that are curious where Eli Drinkwitz stands in this. Uh, it's not great. He's in the, uh, the the fifth tier, along with noted great coaches like Jason Candle, at Toledo, um, Jim McElwain at Central Michigan, fired up chips, uh, Scott Satterfield at Cincinnati. So, yeah, he needs some success this season. We, we need him to get up into that tier with uh, with Brett Bielema and Rich Rod and Jeff Tedford. We want him to be in that category. We, we want him to be among the up-and-coming coaches in college football. Coming up next, let's get to Ask Us Anything. 314-399-9646 here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for ask us anything it's a friday and that means you guys get to ask us anything sports or otherwise you're on 101 espn alongside tanner hendrickson and grant francis i'm brandon kylie alex ferrario will be back in on monday he spent the week this week up in michigan start with this from the 314 guys are you guys doing a 101 espn fantasy football league again this year i hope bk is not the commissioner this time around oh uh, we are we are. We are officially having our draft on Monday. It has been set. Now, this group of people at 101 ESPN, I want to make this very clear. The worst group of texters you'll ever meet in your life. Nobody responds. Nobody ends up saying, yeah, this date works at this time. And it's damn near impossible to get everybody to a certain date and time that actually works for everybody. Sorry. So, yeah, no, come on, Grant. Grant's one of the few responsive ones eh. in this group. At times. So has he responded to a text in the group? Yeah, he's he responded oh. separately, to be fair. Um, <laughs> oh, but he's got his go. team. He's good to go. He's going to be a part of it this year. So, yeah, it's Monday at seven o'clock. And yes, the picks are a minute this year. All right. I fixed it. It's done. <laughs> All right. First off, on the pick timing selection. 
BK hated 30 seconds last year himself, so don't let him play the whining card of, I can't believe the group wants a minute because BK complained about it and then missed the playoffs last year. So you learned your lesson. We did change the rules a bit this year. We're we're doing a super flex league. I think it's better. Which I'm fine with. Although, you know, I don't know how Tim's going to adjust because remember last year he took, uh, wasn't it Tucker like in the fifth round? Because he said the kicker was going to be the difference. No kickers this year. Oh, thank God. So I I think Tim's going to struggle this year. I really do. No kicker, no Tim in the playoffs. I think Tim was going to struggle no matter what. Wow. I I accept his $50 donation to the group. Whoa. Now that is bold. (laughs) Clip that. Clip that and send it to the balloon party for Monday. Tim's a known gambler, known degenerate, and I appreciate him sending the $50 to the rest of us here at 101 ESPN. It's very kind of him. He does HD2 radio, and he's going to be helping us out here on the FM side. Man. With this $50 donation. Whew. T-Bone's just getting a little too big for his britches, by the way. With his success that he had a year ago, he thinks that it's just going to sustain. Well, you I'm know, sure it will. banners fly forever. <laughs> All right. Uh, from the 314. Guys, since the Cardinals are out of it. Fair. What team would you like to see win the World Series, even if they are not considered to be a favorite? Who would you like to see win the World Series this year, T-Bone? Not a you're betting on them to do it, but... If you could have your hand-picked team win it this year, who would it be? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know if I really want to root for an NL team. I would probably say I really like that Baltimore team, but I hate their owner. Yeah, I would not pick them. I might root for Texas. I I love what they did where they just said, you know what, screw it. Here's our blank checkbook. Go fix the team, please. Go get Corey Seager. Go get Marcus Simeon. Go get Jacob DeGrom, even though that didn't work. Go get Nathan Navaldi. Go trade for Max Scherzer. I love teams that finally just say, bleep it. We're going all in. And that's what Texas did. I do too. So I would probably say Texas. I think it'd be cool if Seattle won. That was my team. I I had picked them as the team that I, I would want to see win it. I think they're a really fun position player group. And, man, the amount of pitching that they have been able to both develop and accumulate. Because they went out and they traded last year. They made a big deal to get Luis Castillo and then paid him. They were able to develop guys like Kirby and Gilbert and Miller and Wu. That's a really good rotation. So I would say Seattle would be my team of who I would most want to see win the World Series this year. I I think that'd be awesome. I don't know if there's a team in the NL that I feel like I really like would want to root for Atlanta. Eh, eh, I'm tired of Atlanta. I hear you. Uh, Atlanta and Philly are the two teams that I, I most enjoy watching. I, I may say, I know I shouldn't say this because they're in the division. Cincinnati would be fun in the playoffs. All that young talent with Joey Votto, although he just went back on the IL and then Hunter Green's a up and coming stud. I, I just don't think they have enough pitching, but they would be fun to see. That's the problem with a lot of these teams. Cubs are running out of pitching. Diamondbacks, not sure about the back end of their rotation. Um, the Giants certainly are running out of pitching at this point in the season. Like there's there's just a lot of teams in the National League right now that feels like are running on fumes heading into the postseason. It's kind of similar to last year where the Dodgers got there and it was like, man, I don't know that you've got the pitching to be able to get through it. And then obviously we yeah. saw what happened. Was last year they had to like have Scherzer be the closer, the starter, and the middle relief yeah. guy. It just yeah. did not it didn't end well for the Dodgers a year ago. Uh three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line from the six one eight. Guys, if Jonathan Taylor ends up being traded and you have a pick or you have a fantasy draft after that is done, where do you think he ends up going in fantasy football drafts? It depends. Obviously, this is the easy stance, but let's start here. It depends where he goes. But 
Miami seems to be the team that is most commonly associated with Jonathan Taylor right now. If he is traded to the Miami Dolphins, I think he becomes for me a late first, early second round pick. I think that's probably around the range that I would want to pick him because he's going to be in a great offense and he is an elite level talent. We've seen it from him in the past. So I, I would say late first, early second would be where I would assume he would probably be going in fantasy drafts. Yeah, I'd probably go second round is where I would take him. I like to avoid running backs at all costs in the first round. Would you rather have him or Tony Pollard if he ends up on the Miami Dolphins? So I, I would probably take Pollard because I think he's great in passing in the past game and he's electric runner him too. Him or Derrick Henry. I would rather have Jonathan Taylor. I think on the I Dolphins would go Taylor. And the other thing too that is interesting about this is if he is traded to Miami, for example, I it makes me assume that they're trading for him and he's healthy. That's one of my biggest concerns with him right now is what's this injury mean for him? And Miami's not going to trade for him if he's dealing with something significant. So I would probably say Jonathan Taylor over Derrick Henry. What about Nick Chubb? Isn't he supposed to be getting more quote unquote involved in the passing game we'll this see. year? But yeah. I would actually probably take Nick Chubb because Chubb was great last year. Sir. So you're right around the middle of the second round. Yeah. In terms of where you'd take him in your fantasy drafts. I think that's about right. Devontae Adams, Garrett Wilson, Tony Pollard, that range. He doesn't get traded. I'm going to wait a little longer. Absolutely. Because Um, then I'm more concerned, one, about him being stuck in Indy, but two, also the injury. Let's say it's half PPR. Would you rather have him or Jalen Waddle? Same team. Waddle. I'd probably go Waddle, too. I, I love wide receivers over running backs in fantasy football. And Especially there's just early. a yeah, and there's just more um depth of quality at wide receiver than there is running back. Uh three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show. You guys can always watch us on YouTube as well at one oh one ESPN STL. We'll get to a couple more fantasy football related things coming up at twelve fifteen as we go through our NFL quick hitters. But coming up next, Anthony Stalter asked an interesting question yesterday. The Cardinals tend to do the bare minimum, both when it comes to the trade deadline, you can think of a few of those examples, and in the offseason. What would a bare minimum offseason look like for the Cardinals this year? We're not giving them the out. We're just trying to think about what this would look like. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Mo, I think, even in the in this last trade deadline, let's go back to this last trade deadline. In our opinions, what was the bare minimum that Mo needed to do, in our opinions? Get rid of the contracts that are expiring. Trade the expiring contracts. Yeah. And what did Mo do? He traded the expiring contracts. Yep. It's always like the the path of what can I do that's just kind of will, will satisfy what I need to do in this moment, and that's it. Needed a catcher last year. Got you a catcher. We need one guy for the rotation, in their in their opinion. Brought back Adam Wainwright. Good. There's never that that wow factor, that that shock factor. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That was Anthony Stalter yesterday on the fast lane, making what I think is a really solid argument that we've discussed previously as well. The Cardinals tend to do the bare minimum. We've called it the pop gun offense, the pop gun offseason specifically. With what they decide to do, whether it's in an offseason where they need a catcher, they go get one catcher and then boom, we're done. An offseason where they need to go get a starting pitcher or two, they go get those guys and then boom, we're done with the offseason. This year, the Cardinals need three starters. 
But it's more than just going out and getting three starters. It's going out and getting a stud starter. And then going out and getting another guy that probably slots in in front of Miles Michaelis. So this year, it's not about the quantity so much as it is the quality of those players. Timon, I do wonder, what would a bare minimum offseason look like for the Cardinals? Because I would think one thing we do is we, we undersell sometimes what they do, right? Last year, they did go out and get a really good catcher. Now, they apparently didn't get the scouting reports on what that catcher does well and what he does poorly, but Wilson Contreras was the top catching free agent on the market. Should they have gone a tier above in terms of the trade market and got Sean Murphy? Sure, you could make that case, but he was a good catcher nonetheless. Previously, you look at some of the other off-seasons that they had. They went out and, while it didn't work out, Dexter Fowler was considered to be the top option available on the free agent market in terms of the outfielder that fit the profile that they were looking for center fielder with on-base percentage so they went on got a really good player in that regard didn't work out this offseason t-bone if they were to get really good players that are maybe not quite at the level of what we're expecting and they do that bare minimum what does that look like in your mind who fits that criteria for them i well i think nola probably fits that criteria for them and then I think it's probably someone that's in like that second or third tier in a Yamamoto slash Gray slash Giolito, and then probably bringing in like a number four, like a James Paxton. You think Nola's part of this? I think so. Be- I don't. I, I think if they were to do their typical route, they would say Nola is above what we're willing to spend. Snell is above what we're willing to spend. So we're starting in that tier three market, and then we go below for the players beyond the reason i say i think they would sell you on lucas giolito Ooh, they could do that to me i'm serious i I think that is my that would be my starting point i think nola would get everybody excited the reason i would say nola is kind of what you just said of think back to previous off seasons what did they do they went out and they got the top catcher on the market and wilson Contreras. sure the argument made for the trade as you said for sean murphy they went out and they got the top center fielder in Dexter Fowler. They even went out, let's go back to the Mike Leake signing. They said that offseason, what are they looking for? They're looking for a guy that is going to eat innings. And but they all signed of those Mike guys Leak. are in the same tier of the free agent market. They're all the 15 to $20 million player. But I think they fit exactly what they said they were looking for. And I think this... Fair, but I think that those guys that are in that same range this offseason on the pitching market are in tier three. I think the guy that's getting 15 to $20 million on the market this offseason is... A guy like a Sonny Gray or your guy, Lucas Giolito. I think those guys are in that market. The players that you're talking about, like a going out and getting Aaron Nola, that's $25 million plus. But I don't think the they Cardinals can... have never done that. Well, that we're... would be different. That would be them dipping their toes into the deep waters of we're extending ourselves beyond the bare minimum this time. But when we talk about doing the bare minimum, I'm assuming the bare minimum, which they can sell the fan base on, correct? With th- that they will try to sell the fan base. On. I don't think they can try and sell the fan base on a Giolito or a Gray. Not after this year. Not after this year. I I think the fan base I think they could try. Oh, I don't they know could that try. They'll do it. I don't think it'll work. I think last offseason they tried to sell the fan base on what they did with their starting pitching. It failed, and then it failed in the regular season as well. But I think they tried to do it. I think we focus a lot on the catching situation last year. They sold the Cardinals fans on that and then I think Cardinals fans kind of bought in for the most part. The pitching side of thing was what they tried to sell, and it failed. And going into this offseason, that is what I find to be really interesting is, what do they do this year that is their equivalent of signing Wayno back last year? You know, because last year going into the offseason, most Cardinals fans that we heard from on the text line or via the mic drops were saying, 
get the pitching. They don't have enough pitching. They don't have enough pitching. And I disagreed. I thought they could go into the season with what they had, and then if it didn't work, they could. I thought they were going to be good enough that they could make up for it, and then at the deadline they could go out and get that starter. I was wrong. Cardinals were wrong. It was a disaster. This offseason, what would the equivalent be to bringing back Wayno and selling him as your five-starter again? What would this version of the rotation be for that? See, so for that, I, I just think it's a different standard now on what they can sell because of how bad this year was. Like I Look, they could convince themselves because, again, they I bought into what they had in the rotation last year. But when you have a year in which you're going to lose 90-plus games and it's one of the worst years in 100 years, I think that level of expectation or that bare minimum, that bar raises because of that, and especially here in St. Louis. So I don't think... I don't think they can even um, – they can try it. I don't think it would be successful if they sign Sonny Gray or Giolito and try and f- convince Cardinals fans, hey, look what we did. I don't, even th- I don't even know if two of those guys would work. I really don't. I, I think it takes someone that's in that top tier. So that's what I was going to say. I think that's what it is. I think if they were going to go do the typical Cardinals-y thing, first of all, they'll balk at the qualifying offer. They'll say, Sonny Gray's not on our list. We're not doing Aaron Ola. We're not doing Blake Snell. Because we have a top 35 pick, and this is a rare opportunity for us to be able to go get two players in the top 35 when normally we get one right around the range of our current second-round pick. That will be 33rd overall pick or something like that. So that's the first thing that I would say, is they, they do not go after the qualifying offer, guys. The second thing is... Instead of going out and getting an Aaron Nola, and then what they would probably tell you is, hey, we had $50 million. We wanted to do something in the bullpen. We had to be in that second tier of pitcher. They'll do like a Lucas Giolito and a James Paxton and trade for a like Jesus Luzardo or go out there and get like an Edward Cabrera or something like that, or, or Brian Wu, one of the guys that are kind of like young starter, cost control. You can see if you squint what the upside would be of them being like a two or a three down the road, but right now probably saw it in as a number four for you. I could see them going that route of getting a couple of guys in that tier three on the free agent market. Maybe it's Imanaga, the guy that's coming over from Japan that's a little bit older, Maybe not quite as good by some evaluators, but still a good pitcher. He'll get like 15 mil a year, similar to Senga. I think that's what the bare minimum this offseason looks like from them. And they would sell it to you of, hey, listen, we could have gotten Aaron Nola, but then that would have meant that we're we're also getting like depth pieces. We're getting maybe two of Tyler Malley and Frankie Montes, and we're hoping and praying that they stay healthy because Nola overextended us on the money side of things. I think that's the way that they would try to sell it. And I don't think that sell would work. I, I really don't. I, I think Cardinals fans are at the point where they say it's got to be the top top end of the market. And, and I think they're going to also point out to what you said of, oh, that really limits our money. They're going to say, well, you got to catch up with baseball and spending. And, and I think that's what they'll do. That's why, like, look, I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying because I think you're right. That probably, that sounds like a Cardinals offseason yep. if I've ever heard of one. But I don't think the fan base should settle for that as the offseason. I totally agree. I, I want to be clear here. This is not me advocating and that's why for I, this offseason. And that's why I disagree on they can sell it as the minimum. Because if we're saying that the Cardinals fans should be upset with that, then they didn't do the minimum. Can I? So here's how I would sell it. And again, I want to say on the front end, I think this would be a failure of an offseason. They need to go get Aranola. That is my full stance in the offseason is this is the guy, circle him, put a star next to his name, and you make him an offer that he cannot refuse. That's the guy you go get. 
Or if you want to end up pivoting and you go to the trade market, go get the equivalent of Arenola on the trade market. Those are the two options. You have to start there, and then we can talk about what the secondary options are. But if I'm putting on my Mobo tie here and I'm trying to sell you on why the bare minimum is the right way for us to go about it, here's what I would say. When we look at the teams that have built around very expensive starting pitching, it has failed more often than not. We believe that Lucas Giolito can be for us what Zach Wheeler was for the Phillies. We think we see something in him that has not been unlocked yet, and we believe that he can profile as a legitimate number two starter, maybe even more here in St. Louis. He was not attached to the qualifying offer, which allowed us to get Lucas Giolito and maintain our second round pick. And we think that's going to be a pick that really helps us down the road as well. That could be our next Mason win. So for the price of Lucas Giolito, we, what we would have paid for Sonny Gray, we got Lucas Giolito and our next Mason win. We like that trade for us. The second player that we were able to go out and acquire, Imanaga, he's a pitcher from Japan. Everybody got obsessed with Yamamoto. We think he actually has better stuff. Yeah, he's 29 years old, but we're going to maintain him for the next three seasons at about $15 million per year. And we think he can be for us what Kodai Sango was for the Mets last year. So when you look at the way that our rotation slots, we now have Lucas Giolito as our one. We've got um, Imanaga as our number two. We've got Michaelis now slotted in where he should be as a number three starter. And then we went out and we got a bounce back candidate. We got Tyler Malley. We think he, by six weeks into the season, will be ready to go. He'll slot in as our number four. He's better than any number four starter we've had in about five years. And then at the number five starter spot, we're going to have a competition. It's going to be Steven Metz. It's going to be Zach Thompson. It's going to be Liberator, et cetera. I think that's how they'll sell it. I don't know that anybody should buy it. I don't think people will buy but it. But I think that's the way that they would sell it I to think, the fan base. I think that sell, the fan base would go, that wasn't good enough. This what you were supposed to be aggressive this offseason, and instead you settled, and you settled, and you settled on building a team that may compete in the NL Central, and you didn't settle on, you didn't decide to be aggressive and try and build a team to win a World Series. And I think that's been the biggest knock on Mo is Mo continues to build eighty-five to ninety-win teams and has to make small improvements, the minimum again, at the trade deadline to make sure they can solidify their stance in the NL Central. And the best fans in baseball, Cardinals fans, have said it is time to chase the World Series again. And with this young core, now is the time to really be aggressive. Not just the young core, but Goldschmidt. You've wasted Goldschmidt's prime. You've, you're wasting part of Nolan Arnauto's prime. Get aggressive and go out there and get that top-tier starter. That is the minimum for Cardinals fans. And that's why, like, I'm not disagreeing with you that they will try to sell that. And I will probably crush them for trying to sell that, <laughs> even though I love Lucas Giolito. That cannot be the minimum for this offseason. This is the offseason where you take that next step. As our boy Alex Ferrario says, it is time to go scuba diving. Okay, good. Scuba diving (laughs) and not go swim in the little kiddie pool that's in our backyard. It is time to take that next step. Coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We'll have Alex back with us on Monday. But right now we're diving into some NFL quick hitters. T-Bone, I want to start with another fantasy football question for you. When you look at the fantasy football outlook for players going into this season, 
Is there anybody in particular that you say from where they were last year, maybe it was team, situation, whatever, to where they are right now, they have increased the way that you view them the most? Who's the player that has changed your perspective on them the most going into this year compared to where they were last year? Oh, that is interesting. Um, I think at quarterback, for one, I, I feel like I say this guy's name all the time, so I feel repetitive. But I would say Justin Fields is one of them. If that offense ends up, sure. if he takes the next step and with some weapons now around him, he's intriguing to me. So I would say him. I would say, I I think Brandon Cooks in Dallas has more a value, one. a little bit more, better offensive system now. Will he be as, will he put up as big a numbers as he would like when he was in Houston? Probably not, but I think you can see better production from him. So those are like the first two guys that kind of stand out to me. Um maybe Calvin Ridley coming back in that Jacksonville offense would be another guy. Evan Ingram did this last year in the Jacksonville offense. So those are a couple that kind of stick out to me. So one, as we go a little higher in the draft, Chris Olave. Last year, I didn't really know what to make of the Saints quarterback situation. You never really felt like going into any individual game. You had a good good handle on who was going to be the starter or whether or not they were going to be able to get the ball deep to Chris Olave. Whatever you think of Derek Carr, He's a vast improvement from what they had at the position a year ago with the players that they were putting out there on a week-to-week basis. Plus, we now know Chris Olave is a really good NFL receiver. I feel like he gets slept on. We talk a lot about Garrett Wilson and what he was able to do for the Jets. Well, because Chris Olave played for what was a crap offense for most of the season last year, we don't really look at his numbers and say, oh, that guy was excellent. Even though he was, he was right up there with Garrett Wilson in terms of what he was able to do offensively. So I would say Chris Olave from where I was on him this time last year to where I am on him today. He's the one that's really changed my perspective on him the most. I'm taking him confidently this year in the second round. I mean, if you took him over Garrett Wilson, I wouldn't necessarily say that you're crazy for it because there's less target competition. And I think he's going to have an excellent season this year for the New Orleans Saints. So that's one guy that I would have in that category. I really like that one. And you mentioned his name. I think I had him on fantasy last year. He he was a great find for me late in the draft. Another guy that was solid. There are some guys though that have the opposite effect of this. Sure, the I, ones that have dropped the most. Yeah, or they or not so much. It's their playing style. It's oh, that's your quarterback. And the two names that first popped into my mind were Drake London in Atlanta because I I think he's great. Honestly, Kyle Pitts kind of falls into that as well. And then in Washington, Dotson and McLaren with uh, this guy that BK Lowell and Sam Take Howell. Take him late in your draft. Don't the, actually do that unless you're like a super flex league and you've got multiple yeah. quarterbacks on your roster. Those are the names that then pop out can. like the opposite side of this for me. Also, anybody in New England that's got to deal with Mac Jones. Yep. No, that's totally fair. Um, I, I would say another one that I, I'm not totally confident in is the Washington running backs. Last year I was excited about what they could do potentially. Similar to what you're saying about Sam Howell, who, listen, as much as I'm excited about him, it's mostly for his rushing ability to give you that floor of like 20 or 30 rushing yards a game. I I have zero confidence in that offensive line, and I don't know what they're going to do between Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson. I don't know who's going to get the majority of the share of the carries there. It was frustrating all year last year if you had one of those guys on your fantasy team because you never knew what to expect out of them. Um, so I, I would say those are two other players that I would throw into this category of the disappointing relative Tampa to Bay expectations. Too. Tampa Bay, Mike Wide Evans receivers. and those guys, they're going to be hurt with uh, slinging it Baker Mayfield, Mr. Turnover Machine himself. They're going to be hurt by that. All right, let's go through a few things here, T-Bone, in terms of quarterback play. I saw a poll the other day of, will quarterback X be the 
this team starting quarterback in 2024? I want to go through a few of these with you. Will Desmond Ritter be the Falcons quarterback in 2024? Nope. I, I Look, if they're going to win, it's because of the run game. I'm not going to look at them, and I'm never going to look at Desmond Ritter at the NFL level and go, oh, man, that guy could take them down the field in two-minute offense and beat me. No, they're probably going to be running the football in their two-minute offense. So, no, Desmond Ritter, I call this the classic tankathon for Caleb Williams with him at quarterback. Will Brock Purdy be the 49ers quarterback in 2024? I agree with you on Ritter. I don't have anything more to add other than what you said. I think yes. I'm not sold that he can be a top 10, top 5 quarterback, but he doesn't have to be in that offense. He can be one of the 15 best quarterbacks in the NFL. Hell, he could probably be a top 20 quarterback in the NFL and have success in that offense. So I'll say Yes, I I think he will be. I agree with you as well. I think Brock Purdy will continue to be the quarterback for them in 2024. The one guy to watch there, though, is Sam Darnold. Apparently, they love him. Uh, I do not think he's good. Will Jordan Love be the starting quarterback for the Packers in 2024? This is a contractual thing as well. He does have that extension that'll kick in next year. I think my answer is yes. I think he will be their starting quarterback next year because of the money. I think they'll say this year is a developmental year, even if it goes poorly. We believe in him. We've got one more season where Jordan Love will be the starter. I think I agree with you because of what you just said, because they'll view this probably as a developmental year, first year that he got to play. Don't want to give up on him too quickly, even though I'm not sold that he's the franchise guy moving forward long term. All right, next one up. Will Sam Howell be the starting quarterback of the Commanders in 2024? You know who the starting quarterback of Washington is? I wish I knew the USC fight song because I'd sing it right about now. Here, I'll strike a pose. It's Caleb Williams. Yeah. That team sucks. Damn, man. Sam Howell's a terrible quarterback. He's not an NFL quarterback. Put your I don't know what their odds are for number one pick. Put your money down. Who do you think is worse, them or the Cardinals? Because I would go Arizona Cardinals are significantly worse going into the season. I think Washington, because I think they're in a tougher division, and I think Arizona like Arizona could beat the Rams two times and find a couple more wins. Like they're not beating the Giants, they're not beating Philly, they're not beating Dallas. Okay. They're 0 and six in their division. All right. I do not think he's their starting quarterback in 2024. I also don't think they'll get Caleb Williams. I think they might just be good enough, especially defensively, to finish with like the fifth overall pick and have the worst of both worlds, where you're not good and you're not quite bad enough to be able to get the top two or three quarterbacks in next year's They're going to pull the Texans. They're going to be like right there and then win in the final week of the year. These two I find really interesting. Will Kenny Pickett be the starting quarterback of the Steelers in 2024? I like what we've seen from Kenny Pickett in the preseason. It's preseason. You always have to take that with a grain of salt. Read into He's it. looked really good so far. I say yes. I actually liked what he did in the regular season last year. I thought he played well when he took over. Now, look, he did have some interception issues, seven touchdowns to nine picks. But I saw signs to where I was like, you know what? I kind of like Kenny Pickett, and he can use the legs as well a little bit. I say yes. I think he's the franchise guy moving forward in Pittsburgh. You mentioned this team a little bit ago when we were talking fantasy, of a team that you want nothing to do with with your fantasy players. Will Mac Jones be the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots in 2024? No. I think no. I think they enter a rebuild after this year. I think they move on from Mac Jones, and I think Belichick's either fired or resigns. I think Belichick's coaching the Chargers in two years. Um, so I say no. I do not think Mac Jones is the answer, and I was high on him. Man, can you imagine if he goes to the Chargers and does with them what Brady ended up doing with the Bucks? Where it's mm. like, hey, well, two more years, let's get ourselves a Super Bowl. I, I can see it too. I mean, you got the quarterback there, you've got the talent on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. You just need to stay healthy and you need a coach that can go in there and it's not a, whip everything into a shape. Loss. And, and honestly, I would put Dallas in the conversation for Belichick too. Sure. 
because I think they have a disappointing year. Oh, that's perfect. McCarthy's yeah. out. Dallas is a perfect landing spot for Bill Belichick. That makes all the sense in the world. Um, I think that's that would be one of the more likely landing spots for Belichick. I would say it's one of those two spots. All right, he's Tanner Hendrickson. He is Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, T-Bone has the illustrious return of the T-Bone 3. I'm not sure he has ever been more excited about a T-Bone 3 than he is about this one that he is about to deliver to all of you today. I should have been out on the town last night. I was too busy diving into a relief market. He will tell you the latest next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you guys want to check us out on YouTube, you can do so at 101 ESPN STL. You can just search on Google if you want to. YouTube 101 ESPN, you'll find that you can watch every show live and you can find us there after the show has concluded. You'll see the entire show over there podcasted in video form. And if you do so, You'll be able to re-listen, because you're going to want to hear this more than once, to Tanner Hendrickson's latest edition of the T-Bone 3. Grant, hit is open. T-Bone, 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 T-Bone. All right, T-Bone 3, the three relievers the Cardinals should target this offseason. Yes, I should have been out on the town and not geeking out over relievers that appear in 60 games, but here I am nonetheless. Uh, Let's start with two quick honorable mentions that guys that would be interesting finds, but they do have some flaws. First, Shintaro Fujinami, who is with the Baltimore Orioles right now. Ah, yeah. Shinny. He's got great stuff, legitimately great stuff. Strikes out 30.7% batter's face. Granted, he walks like 16% of the guys he sees. Nope, not interested. So uh, he's Alex Reyes 2.0, but he's fun if you if you want a good project. The other one, Robert. I don't consider it to be fun to watch a guy wa- walk the world. Yeah, but when he strikes out the world, mm, gets me going. Uh-huh. And then there's Robert Stevenson as well, another honorable mention. Since 2021, averages 51 games, 4.26 ERA, 10.2 strikeouts per nine. The problem with him flyball pitcher and well we've seen the the flyball defense here in st louis but he's interesting <laughs> none the least but let's get to number three and it's emilio pagan 33 years old going into next year he's with the minnesota twins right now part of the reason i like him he's got that rubber arm effect kind of like chris stratton did since 2018 he's covered the second most innings pitched out of the bullpen with a four-seam fastball that sits around 95 96 to 11 batting average against that by the way He's moved. One thing that's interesting with him that I think has affected some of his numbers this year, moved away from the split finger, which has a whiff rate that's higher than it was last year, but he's 83rd percentile on chase rate, 84th percentile on whiff percentage. The strikeout percentage is down a little bit, which is why he sits at third, but I like his stuff. And again, the fastball velo sits at 95. And how about this since 2018? 214 batting average against, 28.2 strikeout percentage, and a 7.4 walk percentage. So basically, he's a good reliever, and he goes out there a lot. And he strikes guys out, too. Deal. Let's sign him up. What do you think we can get him for? Like five mil? We talking about a one-year, $5 million? He's 32 years old. I'm not giving this gentleman a three-year deal. I think he's one, two-year deal right around that 5 to $8 million range. Boom. Love it. Emilio Pagan, sign me up. That's not option number one for me. I'm in. You Num- convinced me, T-Bone. Number two, 
and they're only going to get better from here. Okay. Joe Jimenez. By the way, he's got a great spin rate. Oh, yeah. On his fastball. Spin rate. Uh, Joe Jimenez is the other one. 29 years old going into next year. He's like with, this one. With like Detroit. this one a lot. Since 2018, he's kind of the same effect as Emilio Pagani. He's 19th in innings pitch since 2018. Since 2021, he's tied uh, for 31st in strikeout percentage at 30.4. Opponents have hit 217 against him this year. He's got a four-seam fastball that sits 95. His slider generates 43% uh, whiff rate on it basically over the last three years. He's had a couple of weird moments. 2020, opponents really hit him very well. I don't care. Small And then 2021, uh, the walk rate really ballooned. But 22-23, he's been really good, and he's younger than Emilio Pagan. I really like Joe Jimenez of the Detroit Tigers. Probably going to have to give a multi-year deal to him, though, right? I Three mean, years, $30 million, something like that? Possibly, since he is do you younger. you want to do that? I would for him. Because would you rather have him or re-sign Jordan Hicks? I'd rather have Jimenez because I think his numbers look more consistent over a longer period of time. Again, the weird thing about him is he just had those two random blips in opponent batting average in 2020 and the weird balloon of the walk percentage in 21. Here's the thing. Can't be my closer. He's never done it before, T-Bone. Yeah. You know what I call that? BS. Who cares? Anybody can close a baseball. Well, not anybody. But you shouldn't pay for a closer. So. Okay. By the way, these names, the reason you're not hearing like a Josh Hader, David Robertson, even Matt Moore, who's going to be a free agent again, I didn't want to look at names that we've either A, talked about like Matt Moore or be the top-end guys because the Cardinals have learned their lesson in doing so. So you think three years right around that 30-ish million dollar range, that's kind of what we're talking about for him and as, and you'd be comfortable with that? Yeah, I would be comfortable with it because, again, I he's shown that he's been fairly consistent in his time with the Detroit Tigers. If you sign him and it means having to drop a tier from your second starter that you're going after. So let's say you get Aaron Nola, and then that second starter, instead of being able to get like a, I'm not even sure who the best option would be, but... Um, let's say instead of going after Lucas Giolito, they end up now having to go trade one of their position players for a cost-controlled starter instead. How does that make you feel? You're good with that because you are getting a, a really good reliever that you're comfortable with? I am good with that because you, they need to add to the bullpen. Like, if they add three starters, that's great, but this bullpen's going to need an overhaul. And I'm, I'm afraid that they're not going to do it. They need to get somebody. And I think one of these guys on this list, the first four names that I've said— they seem to make sense for the St. Louis Cardinals. And number one for me, he got traded this year at the deadline, and his overall numbers, when you look at them, you may go, ooh, I don't know about this one. It's Pierce Johnson who's with the Atlanta Braves. Was in Colorado, really struggled there, and that's why some of his numbers have kind of ballooned, like his ERA's 4.76. But he's striking out 31% of batters he's seen, 12 games with Atlanta, a .75 ERA, and 12 strikeouts per nine. And on the road this year, which is kind of what I looked at since he was in Colorado, 3-2 ERA and 36.8 strikeout percentage. And he's been great. Was great in 2020 and 2021 with San Diego. The issues for him in 2022 where he didn't appear in a lot of games, it was because of an elbow issue. And I think the oh. reason for his struggles this year weren't the elbow. It was because he was in Colorado. Sure. I, I love Pierce Johnson. Fastball sits 96, has a curveball that's got a 40% whiff rate. And in his percentile rankings on baseball savant, 77th percentile in chase rate, 89th percentile in whiff percentage, and 93rd percentile in strikeout percentage. So let me tell you where I come out on this. Love Pierce Johnson, love the idea. He's another like one-year $5 million candidate is what you're probably looking at for him because he doesn't have the crazy good numbers. We'll see what happens in the postseason. That can always elevate a player to where, okay, Pierce Johnson was a one-year $5 million player, and now because he had a great postseason at 32 years old, maybe he gets two years and 20 mil, right? That could happen if he's dominant for the Braves this playoff run. 
But if he stays in the same range, I would rather have he and Emilio Pagan than going out and getting your number two guy that's going to cost me three years and $30 million. I would just rather spend the $10 million on Pagan and Johnson and be done with it. Not have to worry about it. Not giving out three plus year deals to relievers. That would be the direction that I would prefer the Cardinals to go than giving a one big contract to the uh, bullpen. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I like that these names, I would look to target for two of them, like you just said. And the other thing too is, I didn't mention their handedness. All five guys that I just said are all right-handed. Oh, hell yeah. Because <laughs> they don't need any more lefties. Because I think when you look at next year's team, you got JoJo that'll be there. I think Packy, their plan will be a, he's going to be in this bullpen at some point. And you've also got John King, who's been really good since coming over here. And maybe Zach Thompson's a swing arm that's in that pen. So they've got three to four lefties in the pen. I was looking for right-handed guys that are kind of potentially below the top tier in the relief market when I did this list. And I think these are the guys for me. I think they're probably looking at less than $10 million. And I think some of them, like Pierce Johnson, maybe Emilio Pagan, could get like what Luis Garcia did when he went to San Diego. Two-year, $7 million contract. I think that's kind of what these guys are looking around. So here's my question for you. Because these are like legitimately intriguing names that you just mentioned here, especially Pagan and Johnson. They jump out the page, off the page for me of, okay, you get a little bit more experience. You get guys that have taken the ball regularly. They've got velocity. They've got swing and miss. Everything the Cardinals have lacked at the back end of the, their pin, these guys bring that. When you were doing your deep dive last night into the bullpen market for this offseason, were there a lot of players that intrigued you or was – were these like the five where you said to yourself, okay, this is a cut above everything else that I saw? Because I think that's going to be something that plays into the Cardinals' decision-making this offseason as well, is what's what's the supply look like? When you dove into it, what did you think of the supply of relievers that are available? So when I, these names that I said, the three that were in the team on three and the honorable mentions, the thing that stood out to me about these guys, one was swing and miss stuff, which a lot of guys had on the relief market when I was looking at it. But the other thing that these guys had is they've been fairly durable for their career. Um, a lot of guys, like some of them, like uh, C.J. Edwards will be a free agent. He's been pretty good for Washington this year. He's going to get a one-year deal somewhere. Problem with him is he's been either A, inconsistent over like the last five years, or he's dealt with so many injuries that it's concerning and he doesn't end up throwing a lot of games. Like the guys that I mentioned as the honorable mentions, Robert Stevenson averaging 51 games, that's kind of like the lowest I wanted was around that 51-game threshold. And again, like I understand like Pierce Johnson had an elbow issue in 2022, that's the only reason for his struggles in 2022 that I could find was the elbow was bothering him. The issues so far this year, he was in Colorado. He's already at 55 games. He's probably going to pitch 65 to 70 games, which is kind of more the norm for him. So I was looking for – I don't think there's that many guys that have that durable track record that's not on the top of the market. I think these main three, Emilio Pagan, Joe Jimenez, and Pierce Johnson – are the three guys that are going to fit that category. There are some like bigger names that are going to be on the market this year as well that are older, maybe. Yeah. Like Liam Hendricks, we'll see what happens with his health status. That's a big question for him right now. But he's got a $15 million club option. That's not getting picked up. He's going to hit the market. Will Smith is a player that is in that Texas Rangers bullpen right now. He is a really Didn't good reliever. Didn't want a lefty. That's why I avoided him. Totally understand in, it. the top market. But he's at the top of the market. He's probably going to get another significant contract. Craig Kimbrell, David Robertson, uh, Joe Kelly I know is known here in St. Louis. He's a guy that I personally am not all that interested in. Uh, Blake Trinan's a guy that we talked about a little bit before the show today. He's got a $7 million club option. He's thrown like five innings over the last two seasons. If you signed the two guys that were in your T-bone three that I could get for like five million bucks or something and then you brought in trying in on a 
minor league deal or a one-year $2 give million him, dollar contract. Give him the contract that Alex Reyes just signed with the Dodgers, even though he never pitched for I the Dodgers. I would love to see them bet on a player like that, where he's coming back from injury. The expectation is literally nothing. You're expecting him to not pitch for you this year. And if he gives you something great and he has the potential to be your closer by the end of the year, that's that's what you could end up getting out of a signing like that. But there's a bunch of pretty good names on this list. I mean, Andrew Chafin's got a $7 million option. I, I'm not sure if they're going to pick that up or not. Um, there's there's a lot of guys on here. Michael Fulmer is, is an interesting player. Raldis Chapman is going to be a free agent. I don't think he's somebody that the Cardinals would look up, but um, there's a lot. There's a lot of options that are going to be available this offseason in the relief market, and it's why I wouldn't personally go the three-year route. I would rather go a one-year uh, one year market for one of one or two of these relievers. And again, that's why I went with more of these guys because I was looking kind of that mid-tier, but you're still going to get somebody that's really good that can pitch the... I was looking for a guy... Who's a guy that has swing and stuff that can pitch the sixth slash seventh inning? And someone texted in from the 314, hey, team, I love the list, but who closes next year? Helsley? I think that's going to be the plan. But a guy like Emilio Pagan has closed before for Minnesota. He had 20 saves back in 2019, if I remember correctly. Um, he has some closing experience. But these guys with swing and miss stuff. Like if, if Pierce Johnson was asked to close a game out, I think he could do it. If Joe Jimenez was asked to close a game out, I think he could do it. So I was looking for that swing and miss stuff. Probably going to serve as that sixth slash seventh inning guy that probably pairs with JoJo. At least my assumption is that's sure. the plan of what matchup works better for them. And I wanted those guys that weren't those top name guys because I think those top name guys could bring in ten to fifteen million dollars. Could be one two year deals. And I, I avoided anybody because there were some interesting names that have some options. I just avoided those guys completely just because I wanted to look at okay who is guaranteed to hit the market. And I wanted to present more names that are good pitchers that nobody really talks about. That's Tanner Hendrickson. He's Grant Francis and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was your latest T-Bone 3 if you missed any of it. Be sure to check it out on the podcast page after the show today. You can check that out at 101ESPN.com the free 101 ESPN app or on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so is the Cardinals window opening or is it closing right before our very eyes? I think we have an interesting perspective on that coming up in about 10 minutes but the junk drawer is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Let's dive into the junk drawer alongside T-Bone and Grant on BK. T-Bone, what do you got for us today, man? Well, you know, when we go to Alton for our annual BK Ferrario road trip, we uh, we stay in an Airbnb. And I found a, and look, I love our Airbnb in Alton. I best. found one that would be five times better. The Penscola Blue Wahoos are a double-A affiliate of the Marlins, and they have now listed their full stadium as an Airbnb which for $5,143 a night. Jesus. Yeah, it's kind of Proud pricey. Proud of the stadium. <laughs> it, uh, you can rent out the stadium, and it's got 10 beds in the clubhouse, full access to the field all night, which would be fun. You can do batting practice. There's full tours, food, merch, add-ons, and an on-call staff. And their do stadium, they have a jumbo tron? Uh, let's see. Let's look. Well, uh, that mini, would be a the... mini tron. Okay. That would be the thing that I think puts this over the top. 
Agreed. If you're a big, like, Mario Kart player or something like that, playing that on a Jumbotron would be a little different. Or, like, Super Smash Bros. That kind of stuff would be a hell of a lot of fun. I could see how... Like on one night, again, one night of a bachelor party, you end up doing something like this. I could see how that would appeal to somebody. Yeah. Now, if they don't have that, though, now you're just sleeping at a baseball field. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Because I can go to another like we can do the home run derby out of the uh, O'Fallon Hoots Stadium. It gives me the same amount of intrigue as going down to the Pensacola. What would you call them? Wahoos. Yeah. I could, I could have the same intrigue as going down there and doing some kind of batting practice there. Yeah, and it, I would be horrendous at both of them. Yeah. <laughs> Equally it, bad. It is a good point on the Jumbotron because I didn't even think of that. I was assuming, like, I'm sure, like, even at the minor league level, I see some of the clubhouses and they've got, like, decent-sized screens that would be in there. But I guess that I could experience that at home. So I guess exactly. the Jumbotron would be nice. You know what we should do next year? We should get on this. I'll have our executive producer, Mike Ryder, get on this. Okay, please. When we go to Alton, hopefully next year for the NCAA tournament, we need to, well, I don't even know if they actually have a clubhouse. So now I'm thinking about this on the fly. It's not great. We should stay the night at the Alton River Dragons place. Okay. They're a uh, collegiate wooden bat summer league team. Do they mind if we stumble in? Because that's typically how we end the night in Alton. <laughs> I don't think it goes particularly well for any of us. Again, I now, was in the fetal position when I woke up last year. With your head where your feet should have been, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Uh, um, Alex had a hangover from hell. And T-Bone was fine. Last year, you had the hangover from hell. This year, you were fine. Yeah, last, last year, year ended in disaster for our guy. Yeah, last you were year. struggling. Last year, I remember who we were interviewing, but I went, I've got to go outside. I remember they signed that morning uh, Corey Dickerson. Yeah, and I'll never forget. You had zero thoughts about the signing of Corey Dickerson. Um, zero thoughts. But again, now the more I'm thinking about this, we probably could stumble in because I truly think there's just a press box and there's not even a clubhouse uh, at this field because I've been there before. It's actually a really nice field. We're not going to have the Jumbotron. We're probably all three going to have to smash together in a uh, um, press box. But we'd have the field. We could do batting practice. I've got some Cardinals news for you. You want to hear it? Oh, uh, who's the random guy that they picked up at AAA? Nobody random this time. Oh. I think these are actually totally reasonable oh. moves. Oh, can I? Now that I thought about it, can I guess? Sure. Nolan Gorman has been activated from the IL. That's correct. Cardinals have optioned Jose Fermin. That's correct. And the Cardinals have also activated Lars Newbar. Nope. Oh. They have two other moves, but they're on the pitching side of things. You wouldn't be able to to guess these. So Drew Verhagen has been placed on the bereavement list, unfortunately. Uh, Hope everything's going all right there for him and his family. And Guillermo Zuniga has been recalled from Memphis. Oh, wow. So Zuniga's back up. Nolan Gorman is activated. Jose Fermin optioned down to AAA. All of these totally reasonable moves. I've got no issues with any of them. I hope we see a decent amount of Guillermo Zuniga while he is still up here with the big league club. I agree. I'm actually shocked that they decided to let Zuniga out of uh, purgatory. Well, give it about two days. We'll see when Drew Verhagen gets back. <laughs> yeah. He'll be sent right back down to yeah. the minor leagues. We even, know how this ends Even up. though they'll probably use a long reliever that won't be available for five days, they'll 100%. still send down Zuniga. So if you missed it, the moves that the Cardinals have just announced, Nolan Gorman have, has been activated from the 10-day injured list. Jose Fermin optioned as the corresponding move there down to Memphis. Uh, Drew Verhagen has been placed on bereavement list, list and Guillermo Zuniga has been recalled from Memphis as a corresponding move to fill in while Verhagen is out. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so on Sunday, we're going to get a chance to evaluate the future Cardinals ace, and I can't personally wait to do so. We'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes. But next, is the Cardinals' current winning window opening 
or closing based on the current roster that they've assembled. We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. So is the Cardinals winning window opening right now or is it currently closing? I think there's a case to be made on either side of this. It's a question that the Fastlane decided to tackle yesterday. Here is what their discussion sounded like yesterday as they were going through the winning window for the Cardinals. Is it opening right now or is it closing? I think it's a fascinating question. Because of the young guys, you're viewing it from from the prism of Goldie, which I didn't really think about. I, I'm more viewing it as, you know, what is Walker going to be in a year or two? What is Wynn going to be in a year or two? Mm-hmm. Uh, new- think of the void in your lineup if Goldie's not there. Yeah. Offensively and defensively. I will say this, though, and I made this point about Pools. You also have to assume that Goldie's going to continue to do what he's doing. I think that is a I variable agree. that we variable that we never really consider. But even if there's a drop, th- see, I, I like the lineup. I do. I, yeah. When everybody's healthy, I got no problem with the offense. I think that offense is is more than capable. Plus, plus you have you have a bunch yeah, of that b- offense with in, Goldie in it. But Goldie Goldie's thirty seven. I think we're just assuming that Goldie's just going to be an MVP candidate for forever here. So Jamie took the side of the winning window's closing because the winning window is Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, basically. And if you don't have those guys, what does this offense look like? And this offense is the identity of the current St. Louis Cardinals. I think it's a fair point. I take the other side. I actually do agree here with Anthony Stolter on whether or not it's opening or closing. I think what you're seeing is the Cardinals are trying to kind of, they're trying to thread the needle of being able to take advantage of the back end of the career for a guy like Paul Goldschmidt while also developing young talent. That is a really hard thing to do. It is something that very few teams can do so at a high level. It is a thing that very few teams can also do so while they maintain the prime of the older player and they enter the prime of the younger players. T-Bone, that's what I think the Cardinals can do, though. I think we're starting to see Nolan Gorman has developed into, maybe we're not in his prime, but he's a plus impact player already. I think next year, I expect Jordan Walker to be kind of next year where Gorman is now. Brendan Donovan's a winning player already. Lars Newbar, winning player already. You look up and down this lineup, man, you have real contributors all across the board. I think the Cardinals are entering their winning window right now, and it's why they need to be hyper-aggressive this offseason. It's why you have to take advantage of this pitching staff. You got to go bolster it while your lineup is where it's at currently because this can end quick, dude. Think about where the Padres were two years ago and how exciting that young core was. Now look at them. They got old real fast. Look at what happened to the New York Mets. Now, they had an aging core, but then it got old and it was like, whoa, where do the young guys go? So I think you're in a better position to sustain this than either of those two teams were because of the number of young players that you have in your lineup. And I think that's why you're at the beginning of a window opening for you. Yeah, I'm with you. I I think the window is opening for the Cardinals, and it's because of the young guys. Because I I think you can see, or at least you can dream on, and maybe that shouldn't be what you should do, but you can dream on what Nolan Gorman will be in his prime. You can dream on what Jordan Walker will be in his prime. You can throw Lars Newtbar, Brennan Donovan, and Mason Wynn into that conversation. And when all those guys were healthy, the offense, you could tell, was, was great. And 
the question on Paul Goldschmidt and like what do what should you expect from him? Look, his slugging's clearly going down, and yep. I think that is something that is going to sustain. The thing is, though, is as Gorman gets more mature and Walker matures into his body, and as we've seen Donovan added more slug, all those guys are going to combine to mask the disappearance of what was Paul Goldschmidt's slugging. Goldie's still going to be a guy that hits for average and still gets on base at a really good clip, I believe. So I think the lineup is there. And because you've got such young, cost-controlled talent, and I just looked this up to make sure I was right, you've got Gorman, Newtbar, Walker, Donovan and Mason Wynn, all pre-R players. They can make league minimum, most of them pretty much for the next two years. So that allows you to go out and spend significant dollars on the rotation and then figure it out once those guys get to arbitration. And at that point, you're going to have guys like um, Matt's that will be coming off, getting ready to come off of the books. You'll have guys like uh, Goldschmidt that are coming off of the books, potentially, depending on what they do. Michael's contract will be coming off the books, potentially deciding what they do. They are in a really good spot to really supplement this great lineup with great pitching. It's not like the if, if the Phillies were in this situation. If the Phillies are a team that were in the spot of the Cardinals where it is, holy bleep, we need three pitchers this offseason, they'd be screwed. Why? Because they've spent so much dollar figure on that lineup, and the Cardinals are not there, and that's why I think they're in a winning window. If they had those kind of contracts on the books, I'd be saying the window was closed, but they are not in that situation. The Cardinals have right now in their lineup, three players that are 26 years old or younger that have an OPS plus this season of at least 120. So they're 20% above league average offensively, right? Those players for them this year are Lars Nupar, Nolan Gorman, Brendan Donovan, all left-handed hitters. You build around that, man. This is one of the reasons why I do think it's going to be a difficult discussion in the offseason of what they decide to do. Other teams that are in that criteria Atlanta, they've got three of them. It's Ronald Acuna Jr., it's Austin Riley, it's Ozzie Albies. That's their core. You're building a core that maybe it's not to the same level because you don't have a Ronald Acuna, but you're the next tier down below that. You look at other teams that have multiple. Cincinnati, Matt McClain, and Will Benson for them so far. Those two guys have OPS pluses of at least 20% above league average. It's pretty much it, man. There's nobody else in the National League this year that has multiple at a 20% above league average or better. It's you, it's Cincy, and it's Atlanta. And when you're talking about three or more, it's you and it's Atlanta. That's what the young core does for you. So as we move forward, I think we are underselling what the Cardinals have developed in terms of their young players. I'm not even talking about Walker and Wynn. I didn't mention either of their names when discussing the guys that are already proven at this level. Gorman and Donovan and Newtbar, those three guys allow you to dream. And then you add in Win and Walker. And now we're talking about, okay, that is five young players, the likes of which this team, when was the last time that they had that? Where they had five young, proven players that they developed inside of their system that became above average major leaguers. I'm not talking, and this is no disrespect to the players that I'm about to mention, but I'm not talking about like some of the Memphis Mafia guys that ended up becoming... Solid. supplemental pieces. I'm talking about becoming core members of a winning team. I'm talking about guys that are batting in the middle of your order. Like one through five could be made up in three years with the guys that I just mentioned. I, I don't know when the last time was that that happened for the St. Louis Cardinals. Def- and that's what they've done so far. Yeah, definitely not like five guys. They've been able to kind of get one, maybe. And like I, I think Gorman has a middle of the order bat, and I think Walker's going to fall into this conversation at some point. Like they hadn't developed a middle of the order bat since what? Albert Pujols? 
like Carpenter was a good developed bat, but he was the top of the order guy that got on base. He wasn't, well, they tried to put him in the four spot, three spot, didn't work for him because then he's changed his whole batting profile. Um, so they haven't really developed a middle of the order kind of superstar level bat since Albert Pujols. And to your point, they've got two guys that can be that, Gorman and Walker, and then and potentially Newpar if he ends up adding slugging to his game. He already gets on base, hits for average, and is a good corner outfield defender. And then you've got the... I would put Donovan in that supplemental category, but if he adds more power, as we saw this year, he could be a guy that gets viewed as a star. And I can't remember who the other guy was that I forgot because there's five of them. So and Donovan's probably more in that like Alan Craig type of criteria of yeah. being like a supplemental piece in terms of like not you're not building around him as a. I think three he's kind of the John Jay that came up with that Memphis Mafia guy that's going to hit for average, good defender. Maybe I mean he's he a much better hitter than John Jay was. In terms of what he does offensively, he, maybe not average wise, but when you combine the on base plus the power and the v- positional versatility, he's he's a he's a better hitter, a more productive hitter at the big league level than John Jay was. And that is no slight to John Jay. I, Donovan's just been more proven. He's been yeah. better over the last he, few years than Jay was at he's any like point in his career. in between of what Craig and Jay yeah. were, because I wouldn't say he's Craig because I think Craig is like Walker, maybe. Sure. Um, but I, I think he's right in between a little bit better than John Jay. But again, that's a piece that you would really like to have. So. Yeah, I think we kind of have started to sleep on what this offense is and what those young players are because it's all being kind of shadowed by just how horrendous the pitching staff is that has really just clouded this season. They have a if they had a average pitching staff, which is what I thought they were going to have going into the year. They're a playoff team by far. No questions about it. Somebody on the text line said, "Guys, I also can't remember the last time that they had no pitching and pitching is what wins." Totally fair. And that's why the Cardinals are where they're at right now. Like, th- there's two conversations that are taking place simultaneously, and I think one gets undervalued because of the other. If the Cardinals, to T-Bone's point, had an average pitching staff this year, you're making the playoffs. You're probably winning this division, and given what's happening right now in the National League around them, we would be trying to convince ourselves that the Cardinals could actually make it out of the National League the way that the Phillies did last year or the way that the Braves did two years ago because that's how good your offense has the potential to be, especially if they were healthy. That's the other thing right now is you're just, yeah. you've got Donovan that's on the IL, new bars on the IL and Gorman just made his way back. But that's what you could be convincing yourself of right now. And that's why this off season is so critical for them, man. That's why on Sunday, as we're watching the Cardinals take on the Philadelphia Phillies, I hope we're watching the Cardinals future race and no, I'm not talking about Drew Rom. We'll explain why that is who it is and how he fits into the mix coming up next year on one one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. So on Sunday, we get to see the future Cardinal ace. Not talking about Drew Rahm, of course, who's going to be pitching for the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm talking about Aaron Nola who is going to be the starting pitcher for the Philadelphia Philadelphia Phillies as the Cardinals travel up to Philly this weekend. T-Bone, I think there will be some in our listening audience that have probably heard us talk about Nola this year, and really we've been talking about him for about a year now. And they'll see his numbers, they'll flash him across the screen as they introduce the starting pitcher for the Phillies in the bottom of the first inning, and they'll they'll say, or top of the first inning, and they'll say, Aaron Nola has a 4-5 ERA? That's the guy that everybody's talking about of the Cardinals giving 25 to $30 million a year on a five-plus-year contract? Hold on. So a 31-year-old starter 
that has a 4.5 ERA, and it's the second time in the last three years that he's had a 4.5 ERA or worse, and we're going to give him all of the money? Explain this one to me. T-Bone, when people see that, what would be your explanation as to why, yeah, 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 don't worry about that, the ERA doesn't matter, look at all of this other stuff. How are you going to explain that to Cardinals fans? The way I would explain it, and how Mo will probably do so as well, is he's got great swinging, he's got good swing and miss stuff, and he's an innings eater, unlike Blake Snell, which is his biggest caveat. Oh, and by the way, he doesn't walk the world like Blake Snell does. And a lot of people, the other number that I would expect some people will say if it pops up on the screen, I don't know if it will or not, is he just casually kind of leads the uh, majors and home runs allowed. Yep. Uh, that's because the ballpark. That's not Are you sure. Yes, <laughs> um, kind of. But I, I would say if you're looking at his numbers, yes, the four four nine ERA is underwhelming, and it is underwhelming that he hasn't done. He's had that in back to back years. But the thing for him is he's been an innings eater, and he's going to get swing and miss stuff. In his last three years, he's got a strikeout per nine that is at 10.3. That's what the Cardinals are looking for. That is modern baseball. That is what you're looking for. A guy that's got swing and miss, and the plus for him is the amount of innings that he's able to eat, unlike some guys that are five and dives, which I think Cardinals Nation is going to hate when they come here. But the Aaron Knowles is a guy that can go six innings, seven innings, and you can ride it in pen. There's no question mark if he's going to get there. You know every game when you get to that game – okay, our bullpen's going to have somewhat of a half day off because Noel's going to give us six or seven quality innings. And that is why he's going to get get all the money this offseason and is one of the top targets in free agency. So it's worth noting. For... And I thought that was a really good explanation. You're just going to come in here and shoot it down a little bit? No, I liked everything you said there. You know I love Aaron Nola. That's my guy. He's a 3-5 ERA at home this season. Um, he doesn't exactly have a 3-5 ERA on the road where it's 5.3. He has allowed, so far this year, 10 home runs at home and 20 on the road. Yeah, you give me just a second. I'm going to top that stat for you. Hopefully his numbers are great at Bush. That's what I'm getting ready to find out. (laughs) For his career, you can go ahead and look that up. I'm sure they are. Aaron Nola, to me, represents a lot of what the Cardinals don't have right now. And what I mean by that is certainty. Talent, oh. (laughs) Talent as well. He has has certainty. You know exactly what you're getting when you sign Aaron Nola. He's going to go deep into games. He's going to give you quality starts every single time that he goes out there, basically. And at the end of the day, is it possible that he has like a four or five ERA in his tenure with the St. Louis Cardinals? It's absolutely possible that that ends up being the case. But he also plays in front of a pretty bad defensive team right now. And I think that might be part of the issue. Now, the home run ball, that's something that I can't totally explain it. I, I can't. I can't explain why that is happening to him on the road. If it was happening at home where there are it's a hitter's friendly park, maybe that would make some sense. It's happening to him mostly on the road. So I I don't know why he's giving up so many home runs this year. That's typically an aberration, and I would expect it to regress to the mean in a good way next year for the Cardinals. But he gets a lot of strikeouts. He gets swing and misses. He's underperforming relative to the expected numbers this year, whether you believe in that stuff or not. Guys do not hit him in terms of the batting average against very often, and he's got great command of the zone. When you look at all of that stuff and his size, I, I would bet on him. I would bet on that guy as the number one starting pitching option for the Cardinals going into this offseason. Yeah, I, I I would prefer more, a little bit more swing and miss electric stuff, but I can understand Noel. And also, like, when I think of Snell, I think a guy with a low ERA. The ERA, I shouldn't read too much into. I need to, I even need to tell myself and remind myself of that. 
because it can be inflated by one bad outing. Um, like Jack, for example, though we can all agree his year wasn't great. If you take out that one angel start, his numbers look a lot better this year. Uh, and I just looked up his numbers here in St. Louis. He's made six starts. He's averaged six innings, two and three with a 3.89 ERA. 40 strikeouts compared to six walks. He has allowed five home runs here in those six starts. Yeah, and a home then, run ball might be an issue. It might might be similar to Lance Lynn where like you're, that's just going to be a problem for him. And the the Cardinals have hit 202 at Bush Stadium against him in his career. Like He does have legitimately good stuff. I think he is more of a number two than he is a number one. Agreed. But you still got to pay for that. You still got to go out there and you have to accept, okay, he may be a two, but he kind of in the free agent market looks like a one because he's at the top of the class. There is no true number one, so you kind of have to inflate his value a little bit. And you're going to have to just realize he's the kind of pitcher that you have to be willing to pay because you need a two and maybe you wait a year or two before you end up actually finding that number one. But you got to start somewhere. And Nola's probably the guy in which the Cardinals would say, this is where we're going to start at. And the truth is, Cardinals are desperate. And when you're looking into this year's market, there are warts on every single pitcher that is available. That's why they're available. Blake Snell, really good stuff, great stuff. Strikes out the world, walks 12% of the batters that he goes up against. One out of every eight guys that he faces, he's going to walk them. And if that command continues to be where it's at right now or gets worse and his stuff starts to get worse as he ages, which is expected, and he's a lefty who's going up against righties about 70% of the time, man, I could see how that ages really poorly. You want to talk about Julio Arias? Well, he's had some rough seasons at times. His velocity has dipped. He's rebounded a little bit this year, but he's also dealt with a lot of injuries, and there's some off-field stuff. Sonny Gray, he's really small. He doesn't throw a whole lot of innings. You're going to have to give up a second-round pick for him because he's going to get the qualifying offer, and I think he is more of a two or a three than he is a one as well. Stroman has dealt with injuries at the end of the season. I'm not even sure he's going to hit the market at this point. He might be a guy that decides to opt in as opposed to opting out. And then after that, you're into the Jack Flaherty, Eduardo Rodriguez, Jordan Montgomery, Lucas Giolito range. None of those guys are legitimate number ones. You're not getting a one. They're not available in the open market. And if you want to go to the trade market, well, to get one of those guys, that is what I think most people would define as a number one. You're giving up two of Newt Barr, Donovan, and Gorman. Probably two of those guys that I just mentioned. You feel comfortable with that? Because I do not. I don't want to do that. I want to continue building around that young lineup that they have available to them right now. Um, If you got to trade one, so be it. You make that happen. Trading two is a really tough pill to swallow. I'd agree with that. I, I'm open to the idea of moving one, and it is for what you just said, a guy that's at the top of the trade market and is a guy that you can look at as an ace. I would not move two, even if that meant like you wouldn't trade Gorman and Newbar or Gorman and Donovan for a low—we're not supposed to use the Mariners. That's all right. For, for Logan Gilbert. No, I wouldn't, because what makes this lineup so great is the lefties that they have. I think you can pluck one out, and they would be fine. But as we see, as once you start plucking two, three away, this offense is not the same. So I, I think that's a that is the ideology of the trade market is you can only give up one, and then anything outside of that you're not willing to listen to and not willing to pull the trigger on. And I think I, I, I'm going to say this, and let, it's a Friday, everybody remembers. So we're going into the weekend with good vibes, good vibrations. It's okay to leave this offseason without the number one. Yeah. I I think it is okay to come into next season with... As long as you get a two. Yes. I was going to say, I think it's okay to come into the season with two twos or a two and a two B. And then back, you still got to sign three pitchers and you're going to find a four or five somewhere. And then your hope would be either 
A, an ace becomes available, whether it's at the deadline you're willing to pull that trigger or becomes available in the offseason that's next, or a, a guy hits free agency, but as we talked about earlier, aces don't hit the market often, or you develop them internally. You hope you can develop Tink Hens. You hope you can develop potentially TK Roby, who's going to be making his Springfield debut this Saturday. Your hope would be that, okay, it's okay for us to settle on two twos. We, we did that. And then when Michael's his contract comes off the books in two more years, or Matt's contract comes off the books, you replace his spot with an ace, and you've got Nolan, your other three locked up on contracts. So it's okay to leave this offseason without saying You know who else might be your new number one in two years? Whoever your top five pick is in this upcoming draft. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, you might have the number one pick next year. It's in play. It's a new. It's a lottery system. The Cardinals have like a 10% chance right now to get the number one pick in next year's draft. I have not looked into it for a second of what that class looks like. Have not studied it at all. There's going to be a good pitcher in that class. And whether they're picking one or five, wherever they end up, it's in play that they end up with a future front-end starter based on what they're able to acquire next year in the Major League Baseball draft. That's something else that we need to keep in the back of our mind. Look at some of the guys that have been drafted recently. They get to the big leagues pretty quickly when you're drafting that high up the board. That is an unlike anything that the Cardinals have been able to acquire in what, like 25 years in terms of where they're going to be selecting in this year's draft potentially. So it that's something else to keep in the back of your mind as you're looking at what the Cardinals are able to acquire this year in pitching. One other thing that I wanted to get to here, T-Bone. Cardinals, Phillies this weekend. I think most Cardinals fans would agree. The Phillies have a lineup that can win a World Series. You look at that, you go up and down the lineup, you're like, hot damn. That is a really impressive lineup with proven Major League Baseball hitters. If you were a GM, and I told you, this is a fantasy mindset, this would never happen, but I told you, you can pick a lineup to build around, and then you've got to completely adjust your pitching staff. You have zero pitchers currently on the roster, you got to go find all of them. Would you rather build for the next five years? around the Phillies lineup or the Cardinals lineup. And I'm talking current players that are available. We're not talking about farm systems or anything like that. Cardinals lineup versus Phillies lineup. Who would you rather build around if you were a GM for the next five years? And I've got to start with a rotation from scrap. Yep. You have nothing. I don't show you what the rotation looks like. You don't know what the bullpen looks like. All you know is what your lineup is, and it's either the Phillies or the Cardinals. Those are your only two choices. So with that in mind, I would probably say the Cardinals because of what we talked about earlier. There's more cost control young players that allow for more positional flexibility spending on the rotation that you can try and upgrade in free agency like we've talked about with the Cardinals this year, or you can trade from, as we've also talked about with the Cardinals this year. When I look at what the Phillies have, look, I actually like their lineup a little bit better, and the reason for it when I'm projecting long-term is because, unlike with some of the Cardinals guys, it's kind of a more of a what-if game than it is with the Phillies. I know what I can write in pen of what Kyle Schwarber, Trey Trey Turner, Nick Castellanos, Bryce Harper, I know what those guys are going to be offensively. There are some guys that I feel confident in what I'm going to say of what like Jordan Walker in three years, what Gorman could be in three years, but it's not as certain as it is with those guys. The problem with the Phillies is they've got so much money tied into most of those guys that I just said over long term, and they're not a great defensive team, that it prevents some of the spending that they can do on their pitching staff. And I know we're supposed to operate under the assumption of you have to start pitching staff from scratch. The reason I don't think Nola's going to be a Philly next year is because they have too much money tied up in their position players. They would love to keep Aaron Nola. They've seen how much success they can have with a Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola one-two punch. 
problem is they've got too much money tied up in their, their offensive pieces that they don't have the money to spend on the pitching. So that's why I would take the Cardinals because it's better off that way. I think the depth of the Cardinals is why. Like the depth of what you have available to you right now with your young guys. If I go through these real quick, then I'm just doing like the profile of hitters, right? Not necessarily position by position, but profile of hitters. I would rather have Gorman for the next five years than Kyle Schwarber. Age, take into account everything else, defensive value. Every, I would rather have Nolan Gorman than Kyle Schwarber for the next five years, especially when you take into account their contract status in that stretch. Yes. Trey Turner over win. I don't even think there needs to be a discussion. Maybe one gets there, but right now Turner's just a better player. Hoskins versus Gold. Do you all say it's a push because of the age of Paul Goldschmidt? I don't think he's even going to be around five years from yeah, now. And you don't know what Hoskins will be after the ACL exactly. injury. Harper versus Arenado. I'm a Harper fanatic. I would take Harper here. If you want to take Arenado, I totally understand it, but I would go the Philly side of things there. Real Muto versus Contreras. I don't think it's a conversation. Real Muto's my guy. But from there, I'm going Cardinals down the board. Castellanos versus Walker. I'll take Walker the next five years. Stott versus Donovan. I'm going to take Donovan. Newt Bar versus Bohm. I'm going to take Newt Bar. Marsh versus Edmund or Carlson. I'm going to take the Cardinal side of things there as well. I just think the bottom of the order from like six to nine is so much overwhelmingly in the Cardinals favor. And I don't think the top of the order is that much in the favor of the Phillies. I think the only one that is like a no doubt about it, you would definitely rather have. It's two of them. It's Turner and Real Muto. Uh, otherwise, I think the Cardinals at least have a case for just about every other player in their lineup when it comes to what they've got currently compared to what the Phillies do. And over the next five years, yeah, no doubt about it. I'm taking the Cardinals lineup over what the Phillies currently have available to them. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to the BK and Ferrario Rewind, and we're going to give you a chance to win your final pair of tickets to see Shine Down with special guest Papa Roach on September 3rd. But coming up next, 314. 314- 399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You give us four different options. We'll tell you which one's got to go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. It's time for One's Gotta Go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's gotta go. You can do so on the Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646. But before we do that, I gotta tell you about something cool that 101 ESPN and Bud Light are putting together for you. Blues and Brews. It's coming up on September 22nd at the Anheuser-Busch Brewery. Get fired up for the Blues season at this outdoor street party. It features live music from country music star Chris Land, local blues musician, Marquise Knox, and appearances by blues players, alumni, food trucks, blues merch, 101 ESPN giveaway, and so, so, so much more. Tickets are on sale right now. You can visit 101ESPN.com for additional details, and you can purchase your tickets for Blues and Brews. It's coming up on September 22nd. In about 10 minutes or so, we will give you another opportunity to win your final chance here on BK and Ferrario to win a pair of tickets to shine down that is coming up on September 3rd. But T-Bone, let's got to get to let's get to one's got to go. One's got to go young NFL quarterbacks edition. Ooh. Trevor Lawrence, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson or Bryce Young. I'm getting rid of Richardson. 
I've been the lowest on him up until this point. I don't think he's going to work out in the NFL. I think he's the kind of quarterback that is done in two years, maybe less than that. So I would say Anthony Richardson. I have a lot of question marks about um, Stroud and Bryce Young for his size, but I think those guys are capable of doing it. I just, Richardson, I wasn't all that impressed with in college. I can see why teams dream on him, but I, I don't see him working in the NFL. I love Anthony Richardson. I would have taken him with the number one overall pick because if I am in a scenario where I am trying to compete with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Trevor Lawrence and Lamar Jackson for the next decade in the AFC specifically, I need an alien at the quarterback position. Anthony Richardson has the potential to be that. I don't think CJ Stroud does, man. I don't think I don't think there's any scenario where CJ Stroud we look back 10 years from now and say that guy's the best quarterback in the league. I'd be shocked by it. I think he could be Jared Goff. What does that get you though in the AFC? If you're in the NFC, sure. I would go for the high floor, low ceiling guy right now. That would be my ideal scenario. Look at what the Seahawks are doing right now. Look at the 49ers. Those teams have mid-level quarterbacks with a really solid defense and nice playmakers around them, and they might win a Super Bowl because of it, because you can do that in the NFC. In the AFC, I didn't even mention Joe Burrow. Good luck. Good luck winning with a mid-tier quarterback right now in that conference. So I'm going to go ahead and say the guy that I'm getting rid of is C.J. Stroud, because I don't think he has the special traits that Richardson, Young, or Trevor Lawrence do, especially Trevor Lawrence and Anthony Richardson. And he Those was are not, the two guys that I would have He was above. not good in the preseason. No, Stroud was not. He's not looked impressive yet. All right, one's got to go dessert edition. Cake, cobbler, pie, or cookies? Cake, cobbler, pie, cookies. Isn't a, cob- what, isn't a cobbler similar to pie? Am I... No. Oh. Get rid of cobbler. Because isn't it like peach cobbler, apple cobbler? Yeah. 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 It's well, like in a dish, it's yeah, like a casserole. Yeah. It's a it's a dessert I'm casserole, out. basically. Yeah, I'm out. I, and they're all like they're all f- like fruit ones. I'm out on that. Ugh. I am the same exact way. Really? Same with pies. I don't do fruit w- with my pies. I'm like, not I'll a do huge chocolate pie, pie guy in general. I love a good chocolate pie. Do Pumpkin pie is the best. No, yeah, no. trash. Get yeah, out of no. here. But like cookies, great. I don't even remember what the fourth one was because I was drooling over pie so much. But cobblers, ugh. Get those the hell out of here. Somebody said one's got to go 101 ESPN show host edition. BK, 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 or maybe Brandon Kiley. <laughs> I'll go with that one. BK. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. Guys, one's got to go vehicle edition. A car, a limo, an SUV, or a truck. Let's say one's got to go vehicle edition to take you to a uh, concert. Let's go with that. Well, car, well. limo, SUV, truck. The limo stays, um, truck stays, car, SUV. I guess I would go car because in an SUV, you can have more people. So if you go to a concert, like that's actually smart thinking. I didn't think of that. Yeah. Okay. So I'll say cars got to go. I was thinking, man, shows the old man in me. I was thinking car, man, that'll be easier to park than an SUV. (laughs) My God, man. (laughs) That's the whole reason. Like I, like I love the Ford Focus that I had and I love the Nissan Sentra that I've got now. Cause I'm like, I can like whip this bad boy in this tight spot. Did that legitimately play into your decision on what kind of a car to get was how you can park it? Not a, not as much as like all, of all the false. other features. No, true or false, it was a consideration for you. Okay, yeah, that part's true. <laughs> okay, hold on. In your mind, and I didn't want like a van or anything. Like I drove like my dad's car, uh, Dodge Nitro, and I could definitely tell like I, mean, I can't fit in this spot. Ugh. 
in yeah, your mind, shows the old man in me. What made you say the truck is in? Just curious. Because you can sit on the back of the truck. Okay, like, we my, did that a lot. Like what, like tailgating, for example. You, I picture like back of the truck. You can have a cooler there. Like that's the whole reason I kept the truck in. And the limo I kept in because you know Obviously. I've seen what limos are like. Those are nice. Have you ever been in a limo before? No. Really? And part of the other reason why it stayed. Did in. you go to prom? No. Okay, that makes sense. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line. Four one's got to go. I am. I'm getting rid of the car as well. The other ones all have something that you can use. Did you consider being concert. able to park the car? <laughs> I didn't. I probably <laughs> didn't give enough credence to how difficult it is. Uh, one's got to go. Cardinals. Starting pitching prospect edition: Zach Thompson, Gordon Graceffo, Matthew Libertor, or Michael McGreevy. I think I know where T Bone's going on this one. Would it be unfair for me to say this is easy? It's Matthew Libertor. Really? I'm actually surprised by that. That's not oh, the who direction you think that I was going to say. Gonna go. Michael McGreevy. He doesn't have swing and miss. No, he doesn't have swing and miss. But like I've seen Libertor fail up here, and I think it gives him the edge. Um, but and the other thing with Libertor, and I say this, and I hate to sound like the guy that's like. Just, Get him out of town. Granted, I did that with Drew Rom after one start. Um, I have not seen him make the proper adjustments. I know he had the one great outing against Tampa, and I know he had a solid outing against Milwaukee. Out, in fact, I was at that game when he came up this year. He's having repeat the same issues repeatedly. Did you know that Michael McGreevy is older than Matthew Libertor? I did not. I don't think. <laughs> I don't think I knew that. Is Graceff older than him? Uh, I would assume so because he was a college pitcher. Yeah. Okay. I guess I may have knew that because I knew McGreevy was a college pitcher. Um, but, yeah, I would say Libertor. I haven't seen him make the adjustments. And for McGreevy, yes, he doesn't have swing and miss. He's also did, a year older. And I Okay. And I just haven't seen him fail at the big league level. I don't think Libertor is a big league starter. He might be a big league reliever, but I, I feel confident in saying today, 825 at 148, he's not a major league starter. I think I'm going to go McGreevy. Because of the lack of swing and miss stuff, I just think he's the most easily replaceable of this group of pitchers. I, I really like what we've seen from Zach Thompson, man. I When Alec, Alex gets back on Monday, I owe him an apology because I was mean to him. Like I was, I was big mad about how he was arguing for Zach Thompson to be a starter when we had seen such horrible numbers from him down in AAA as a starter. At the time, I didn't have full information. This is on me. Not an not an excuse, an explanation for why I was so wrong. I was loud wrong. Um, I didn't realize how much the difference was between the AAA strike zone and the big league strike zone this year. There's a lot of pieces that have been written really in the last like 24 hours now about that strike zone and what it's done to the numbers down in the minor leagues. It is an offensive just like celebration in AAA this year. The pitchers are having a huge, t- uh, a huge difficulty adjusting to that down there. So uh, Zach Thompson would definitely be the last one that I would get rid of from this group. Did you not the most intriguing? Did you not get rid of Libertor because of the age? Um, the age, the swing and miss, the potential. I, I just don't want to give up on a guy that has the potential to throw ninety-seven from the left side. Had his kind of prospect pedigree. Has a great curveball that we've seen at times be a good pitch for him at the big league level. It's just hard for me to get rid of that guy. I, I still, I would be like the Cardinals. I would be hanging on and holding on to hope about what he still could be, even though it's obviously looked bad almost every single time that we've seen it at the big league level. And because you said throws so young. 97 is why I'm not giving up on him completely, but I'm giving up on him as a starter because he can't maintain that velo. And that, that sounds like a bullpen arm. Go out there, give me one great inning from the left side. 
Granted, we got to improve on getting right-handers out, but yeah. I, I think he has the potential to be a solid reliever. I just I haven't seen enough to say that as a starter. Coming up next, we're going to hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind, and we'll give you a chance to win a pair of lawn seats to see Shine Down on September 3rd. That's all next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner and Grant, I'm BK. Final segment of the week here on BK and Ferrario. If you missed anything from today's show or any show this week, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. You can find that at 101ESPN.com or the free 101ESPN app. You can also find them all on YouTube at youtube.com slash 101ESPNSTL. Those are presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And right now, to finish out the week, we're giving you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Shine Down with special guest Papa Roach. That'll be next Sunday night, September 3rd at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. If you are texture number 101 at 314-399-9646 and you can tell us what is the city that T-Bone is going to go to to rent out their baseball stadium for the Airbnb told you in the junk drawer. What is the city in which that is taking place? If you've got the correct answer in your texture number 101, you will be winning the pair of tickets to see Shinedown on September 3rd. T-Bone, on Sunday, the Cardinals go up against Aaron Nola. They also have Drew Rahm on the mound. Which start is more compelling to you, seeing what Aaron Nola does against this lineup or seeing what Drew Rahm does in his second start as a Cardinal? It's a tough one to think about, um, but I'm going to go with Aaron Nola um, because I want to see what he looks like against this lineup because this is the kind of lineup, Cardinals fans aren't going to want to hear this, that will be a playoff caliber lineup hopefully by next year for the Cardinals, but it's a playoff-caliber lineup. I want to see how he pitches against it because Nola was good his first two starts in the playoffs last year and then really struggled down the the last three games that he started for Philadelphia. And I think he is a number two, but he should be at the top of the list for the Cardinals to target. So I want to see what he looks like against this Cardinals lineup. I'll be I'll be interested in Drew Rahm. I know I kind of joke, but sure. I'll be curious to see how he plays in his second start. But Nola's the one for me. The Nola start against this lineup is one of the most compelling starts by any player that is either on the Cardinals or could be on the Cardinals the rest of the way. If you're watching a Cardinals game, that is the the number one that I would circle right now in terms of intrigue for me, because I just want to see how he looks against a lineup that we know very well. So we'll see that on Sunday. Sounds like Klaus may be back in the lineup for City. We'll see on that one. I've <laughs> grown skeptical over the days. For Tanner and Grant, I'm BK. Grant's done a great job this week filling in. Alex back on Monday here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.